hey there, kids. Uh, I guess I should lower the excitement level. Hey there, kids. Because this is a very special edition of uh, Fat Man Beyond Colon. The Strike! Writer Strike! Uh, <laughs> welcome to Fat Man Beyond Special Edition on The Strike. I'm Kevin Smith. I am Mark Bernard. Hey. Ho. This is our news voices. Um <laughs> Mark uh, had an idea about uh, joining up uh, uh, and talking about uh, strike, which is fucking good because I'm completely ignorant myself. Um, for those who don't know, well, first off, for those who are like, what the fuck happened to your place? Because of the strike, I had to sell everything. So <laughs> We're not millionaires. <laughs> yeah, fucking, that's it. If I can't write, I got no money. So I sold everything behind me. No. Uh, we are in the process of packing up and, and moving uh, from my house. Not, not anytime soon, but, uh, well, I, I guess within the next two months or something. But uh, my office was one of the last to get packed up. And so look at this, look how barren shit is. You know, and having been in your house on more than one occasion, it's a lot of shit to pack. Oh, my God. I mean, I'm a hoarder, kids, an absolute <laughs> fucking hoarder. So... All the stuff that used to line these shelves uh, got packed and sent into uh, uh, some things are in storage out here in Los Angeles. Some, some things went into those pods that you see sometimes like are outside people's houses and shit. Mm -hmm. Excuse me. Um, and got shipped back east uh, to Smod Castle where I have a, a small apartment above the theater which won't hold all the fucking shit we shipped out. So that went into storage. My whole life's in fucking storage right now. <laughs> um, but you know, I live out of a suitcase and uh that's that's good because the belts are tightening, kids. We're living in some frugal times right now, man, because those of us who make our earning off of words, who turn words into dollars, uh aren't doing that right now, are we, Mark? We are not. Uh, as of last Monday, I want to say it was the 4th, maybe. I don't know how calendars work anymore. Um, uh, it was, no, it was the 1st. Uh, both the Writers Guild uh, East, Writers Guild of America East and the Writers Guild of America West um, elected to uh, strike. And mm -hmm. I'm sure some folks have uh, heard that. Uh, read about it online or seen, you know, people's Twitter threads or Instagram threads um, regarding the strike, uh, particularly Marx. Mark's been walking the picket line and stuff, something I have not had a chance to do because I've been out dealing with my mom, who is getting better. Yes. She had a, they took the tube out of her nose, the feeding tube, so she can feed herself now. And she had a tracheostomy. She had the tube in the throat. They took that out today. So she's like tube free. Um, okay. so thanks mod. Um, but it, you, you might've seen little bits and pieces about the strike and, and been like, what's this all about? What do you mean strike? Well, that's what we're here to talk about today in this very special edition of fat man beyond, uh, Mark is our resident strike expert. Um, having walked the having, two of us, <laughs> certainly uh, between the two of us, Mark is fucking Norma Ray. So we're going to learn all about what's going on uh, with the writers and why we're striking. Mark, teach uh, them and me what we're striking about. 
Um, yeah, I mean, and, and the idea for this basically came down to we were going to talk about, as we always do, um, two, there's two, there's three segments of the show. The first one is, what are you up to? The second one is, here's the news. The news is what I'm up to um, because there isn't really any other news aside from the fact that the Writers Guild of America, um, as they can do every three years, uh, we have a contract, the Writers Guild, with the AMPTP, which is the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers, which is, you know, the, the shorthand for the studios and the networks, the people who pay us to write, um, and then the union that protects the writers uh, and allows us to collective bargaining. Every three years, there's a reexamining of that contract. And every three years, um, the writers have some things that they want. And also, not just the writers, every guild in Hollywood, the Directors Guild of America and the Screen Actors Guild, all have the same kind of agreement with the AMPTP, the studios. Every three years, that agreement expires. Every three years, there's a series of negotiations. Sometimes people get what they want, and they go back to work. Sometimes people don't get what they want, and they go up until the very last moment, and then they negotiate, and then they they compromise. And then sometimes the two parties are at such a an impasse that a strike gets called. Um, the last time there was a strike was in the 2007-2008 um, television season um the strike was over the in the winter it was in the in the fall into the spring um and not during may not during the summer but so basically this year um the writers came to the table with some very um serious but fair demands to existentially retain the ability specifically to be a tv writer um as a career one can do and make a living doing it um Feature screenwriters have often felt a little bit sidelined by it, but there is also some stuff in there that affects everybody. Namely, the fact that streaming seems to have um, greatly diminished, if not completely destroyed, the old formula people used to make money, um, especially if you were a writer, but also if you were a director, also if you were an actor, because everybody made their money up front, like here's what you paid me to do this service. But then here is what was called residuals. Um, if you're an author, it's called royalties. Um, it's, I created this thing, and every time you sell it to somebody else, the originator of that thing gets a taste. And it's a small taste. It's not, you know, an, an immense percentage of what the grosses are. But those were sizable. If you, if you did them in the aggregate, they were sizable. Even if you wrote one episode of TV, if you wrote an episode of Seinfeld, um, you got paid to write it, and then you got paid every time it aired in reruns and syndication, all of it. If you write an episode of Stranger Things, you get paid once, and then you never really get paid again. Because now, when did that happen? Essentially, the the streamers um, kind of broke the old model, correct? Like when uh, streaming came to the fore, uh, they considered it new media. Is that correct? Like they were like, we don't know if this thing's going to work. Can you imagine, kids? That at one point Netflix was like, we're not sure it's going to work. Yeah, I mean, that's what the 2007-2008 strike was about, was the the trying to wrap your heads around what streaming was going to be. The the studios claimed that it was marketing, it was a marketing tool. It's like, we're not going to put, literally put whole episodes of stuff, and then we're going to put whole seasons of TV up on there. We're going to give you like a five-minute clip of Heroes, and that's all you're going to get. Like, we're not, we don't even know what it is. But the Writers Guild says, well, but at some point you'll figure it out. And at some point that will be destabilizing. So we need to wrap our heads around it. 
And so what happens was like, yeah, the show used to get rerun. show would get sold in syndication. But once Netflix began creating original content, they realized that there was no resale for it. They would own it. And the only place it would air was on Netflix. And they were not going to sell ads against it. So they paid you a little bit more up front and said there are no real residuals for this. And the problem is, is that now there are shows, there are people writing these shows who are not getting to partake in the success of those shows, um, which had traditionally been the way TV worked. If you created Hill Street Blues, if you created The Sopranos, if you created, you know, Friends, then like you got a taste of that success. And even if you create, even if you just wrote on a show like Miami Vice, even if you just wrote an episode of whatever the hell, you know, pick a show that you don't even remember anymore. You still got paid to do it. There were reruns. You get paid again for having written it. All of that is gone now. And that has sort of decimated the ability for writers to sustain themselves. You know, like, and it used to be, uh, I'm going to go through a list of grievances, but if you were on Quantum Leap in, in you know, the 90s or the 80s or whatever, you worked 40 weeks of the year writing 22 episodes of television. You took a 10-week hiatus and you went back to work again. Now, if you're writing on, I don't know, let's call it Castle Rock, um, you're working for 20 weeks out of the year um, on 10 episodes that are for a streamer. And the money that you used to get to su sustain yourself through that time, you don't have anymore. You're working for less. You're trying to get more jobs. There are more writers trying to get more jobs. And it's just become an unsupportable ecosystem, an unsupportable economy. And so that's one of the big things that, that writers are asking for. In addition to the streamers telling us how many people are watching shows. Like the only way we have any idea of whether or not something is a hit is if Netflix puts it in their top 10. But what's number 14? What's number 23? How can you how can you equitably negotiate for yourself? How can you be humble but let motherfuckers know how much you're worth if you don't know how much people are watching? So tell us what what's happening. Tell us how many people are watching. And then let's figure out a residual formula based on number of views. Um, so that again, if you create your next big hit Netflix show, then you can have a taste of that success. Um, I think that's that's all that anybody's looking for is a, is a taste, not that much a taste. Um, I think feature writers also like if you write the most popular Netflix movie, if you write whatever the hell, The Gray Man, you know, if you write whatever's going to be on Apple, if you write Tetris, if you write you know some original streaming movie, if you if it used to be if you wrote a movie that went into theaters, you got a piece of that money. That could be a, that could be a career for you. That could, like, you know, middle class, you're not going to be rich, but you would always get some money for having written a movie that people love. Um, that is also now gone because they're not cutting you in to, to that sort of success. Um, and then the other big thing, you know, to just sort of break it down, and it's most elemental, is also protecting against the encroachment of artificial intelligence. Um, Writers are concerned because things like chat GPT, and I'm sure there's other off-market, off-brand versions of that, are not currently being used to write scripts, but in a couple of years, they can mimic scripts. You know, like if you if you ask, you know, chat GPT, hey, I would like you to synthesize 40 years of police procedurals and then kick me out of police procedural. It's, we're a year or two away from them being able to do that. And then hiring one writer to rewrite it all. 
so that it doesn't sound quite so boring. As opposed to, let's hire a room full of people to create a new thing. You know, this is, it, it becomes the enemy of the new, and it becomes the enemy of the writer. And the idea that writers are the only ones who have to worry about that is, I think, a little bit short-sighted, because actors are already... Like, if you're a voiceover actor, like, you would 100% just get some of that from a box. I mean, sure, there are going to be those who will always work. There will be, like, your Nolan Norths and your Phil Lamars and your... You know, your Matthew Mercers and your John Hams and your George Clooney's, if you've got a recognizable voice and a brand, yeah, you're going to keep working. But if you're just a guy reading a script for some, you know, documentary on World War II, they don't need that person anymore. You can get that out of a box. I mean, we get Darth Vader out of a box now because they've synthesized all of James Earl Jones's voice work as Darth Vader. And now you can just type in what you want him to say and he says it. That's how Kenobi worked. That's how Darth Vader shows up in Kenobi, because James Earl Jones is too old, that he's licensed his voice to Lucasfilm, that they can now summon Vader whenever they want to. That's a thing? You could do that? Yeah. Because I'd like to sell my entire Silent Bob voice catalog. I mean... And it, have... There's <laughs> lots of shrugs. AI shrugs, man. Um, uh, do you get... Uh, speaking of shrugs, lots of shrugs online from folks who are like, Hollywood strike. You don't even work or blah, blah, blah. Where have you found a lot of support? Um, I found like 90% worth of support um, because I think that, that people do have a rudimentary understanding and the, and the WJ has done a pretty good job of communicating um, what the, their core issues are and the intransigence of the studios to actually faithfully negotiate on those core issues. Um, so I think most people are, are, are at the very least vaguely on the side of the writers. Because it's it's so weird to me to be on the side of some faceless, megamaniacal corporation. Um, so I guess corporations should win. They should have all the things. Um, you know, and I think they understand that what the writers are asking for amounts to 2% of the profits of the billions that they make on stream. You know, there was, there was a writer who explained to me, a guy named Paul Guyot, who was like, um, Netflix has 200 million subscribers, give or take 40 million or so. Each one of those subscribers has a credit card, and each month that credit card gets charged somewhere between $10, $15, $20 a month. So that is, however that math works, you're in the billions that they're making a month on subscribers. And so to, to claim that they just don't have any money feels somewhat insincere. They are not broke. They are not crying poverty. Um, they have plenty. Um, they they have done record profits, especially given that we were in a pandemic when all one could do was watch shit at home. Um, and so, and, and but then there are some people who, of course, are like, you know, you're just asking for millionaires asking for more money, you know. For example, the card baron in comments said maybe they can write something worth watching for once. Wah, wah. Yeah. yeah. You know, there's the like, you know, who needs... Hopefully you stay on strike forever so we can hire some writers who aren't like left-wing liberal child-grooming pedophiles. Like, oh, okay, you're bringing a lot to this table, sir. I don't, I don't understand where any of that comes from, but sure, okay. Grievance heard and muted. Um, but I think that, that there is something somewhat intrinsically American about um, kind of punching upwards, trying to take down the man and claim a little bit more of what's yours. Um, and what you think you owe, you're owed, you know, valuing, valuing yourself and then 
sort of doubling down on it. Um, nobody wants a strike. You know, there's no writer out there who's excited to not be working. You know, I mean, I had two or three things on the runway that were that showed lots of promise. You and I had a thing on the runway that uh, that showed a ton of promise that we all had to kind of put on ice and, and wait until this gets resolved like this. Nobody wants to not be making money. Um, but I think that that it does come down to um, if we don't stand now, when do we stand? And if standing later is too late. Um, and so that's sort of the, the, the general thesis of it. It's trying to make sure that writing for the screen is a career that people can have, that it isn't just for the wealthy and the elite. And most of the people who write the television that you love are not rich. Not if you're living in, in LA, not if you're trying to sustain yourself here. You know, there was a dude who, uh, who was writing on the bear who, you know, who like, yeah, you know, an incredibly popular show on, on, you know, FX on Hulu, um, critically lauded, you know, maybe up for Pulitzer prizes or, or Peabody's or whatever the hell it was. He's like, I don't know where my next rent check is coming from. I'm like, I just don't know how I make the year. I don't know how I make the month, let alone the year. It's like, I just delivered my last script for the bear season two. And so, you know, and there are lots of us out there who are just trying to, to cobble together a year, trying to get jobs, trying to, to score another gig, trying to do a freelance episode, writing animation, writing whatever you can write, because it is not the, uh, the land of milk and honey that it had been in as late as the 2000s. Um, let alone in the eighties where people were giving away Porsches if you were on a hit show. Um, is that right? Yeah. 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 I mean, granted, I, I think it was friends were giving out Porsches. Um, it's like, Hey guys, we were number one. Everybody gets a car. That's great. Thanks. Um, we're not in that, in that world anymore. You know, with very rare exceptions. Like, sure, there were shows that do well. There were people who were rich. There are your Shonda Rhimes and your Greg Berlantes and, you know, people with these giant overall deals at companies. And, yeah, they produce. They're worth the money. But most of us are not rich. Most of us are, you know, just trying to make it. We're, um, of course, all of us, all we writers uh, as part of the guild are striking. But this seems to affect... Uh, episodic folks more than it does feature folks or am i ignorant um for the most part you know i mean feature folks there there are always some protections that the feature folks want namely i think the the biggest thing that the feature writers are asking for is to um be paid more consistently um because like if you if you write a, a movie that sells and it's your first one ever and you're going to get guild minimum you know even a little bit above guild minimum. let's for say example, a, our friend scott Mosier. Scott Mosier sold the spec script to Warner Brothers for a movie called Maud versus Maud, Maud mm -hmm. Vino, which they, uh, you know, instantly turned into a fucking eight figure package for a feature that's going to star Angelina Jolie and Holly Berry. But he is, I mean, he's written episodes of like Spider Man and, and uh, one of the Spider Man cartoons and stuff, but he's a first time feature writer. He's a first-time feature writer who comes from also having produced and directed The Grinch. Um, he's not an unknown quantity. You know, he's that that is the anomaly and not the norm to come in for some like, oh yeah, I made $14 million selling this script as a package or whatever that is. Right. If you're like a regular person 
with no credits in this business and you sell a movie, maybe you get $200,000 for selling that movie. Maybe. Um, 30% of that goes away for taxes. Another 25% of that goes away for commissions to your agent, manager, lawyer. Um, that leaves you with 45% of that $200,000. You know, $200, what is that? $85,000, $90,000. And if you're living out here in Los Angeles, good luck making that fucking work. Right. It's an expensive place to live. And this it's is an expensive place to live. And you might not sell another one for another two years. Right. You know, and so you got to make $80,000 last you for 24 months in a town like this. Like, that's not a rich person. You know, that's a person who's like solidly lower middle class. You know? <laughs> Um, and so finding ways to make it so that that person can a get a bit more for that sale, not have to wait so long for that money, you know, be part of the process of, of being involved and in doing more than one pass on the script, like getting paid to do a rewrite, getting paid to do a third draft, getting paid to do a polish, like all of that can be money applied to that sale so that, you know, but ultimately what we're fighting for is the lower end of of the career for the people who are just starting for the people who are, you know, just breaking in, getting their second, third jobs and making it so they can get their fourth job. And then in television specifically, it's learning how to do the job. You know, like I've, I've been on seven TV shows and I've been on set for one episode. Now at some point they will give me a show to run, you know, knock on wood, I'll sell a thing and I'll be the showrunner of that show. Explain um, for those who are completely ignorant what a showrunner is. Um, in television, the showrunner is the the sort of creative um, source from when from whence it all springs. They are they are the last line of defense for the creative, and they are the head of what is ultimately like a hundred million dollar business employing between ten and two hundred people, where you're helping to cast the show, you're helping to write the show, you're making the final decisions on everything creative about the show. You're on set to produce the show, to make sure that what's happening while people are, are you know, rolling trucks and rolling cameras and costumes are right. And, oh, man, we don't have sun today. And, oh, shit, it rained out this set. What do we do? It's, it's problem solving at a rapid pace. Um, it, it, television is a, is a writer's medium, it's often said. And the showrunner is the director of television, is the one who is the, the first and the last word on most of what happens. And much of being a showrunner is not just learning to write, but it's learning how to produce and work with other people and interface with department heads. I mean, it's it's a lot of stuff that 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 I learned in the theoretical, that I learned a bit on set for the episode of Castle Rock that I produced, that I learned making my own short, you know, and that I learned from watching other showrunners and other directors do that job. It's uh, There's a lot to it, and there's a lot of trust, and there's a lot of confidence that one has to have that they can do that job. But it used to be that, like, started as a staff writer on L.A. Law. You went to set. You interfaced with, you know, Jimmy Smits and and and, and Blair Underwood and, and Corbin Burnson. And, yeah, I remember the cast of fucking... I mean, what the fuck? What an ancient poll that is. <laughs> Kids, L.A. Law was a show that happened way back in the 80s and stuff. Mark's reaching very far back. Reaching very far back because that's, to a certain degree, how long ago it was that you could do this, where you started as a staff writer. You produced your episode. You were on set for your episode. You got to go to post and watch as the, the episode gets edited. You offer creative input on the editing of the story because you as the writer are the only real container of knowledge about what that story does and what that story means in the whole of the season. 
Um, and then you'd, you'd get promoted and you'd keep doing that and you'd get tens and twenties and hundreds of hours of producing television under your belt before it got to be your turn to be a showrunner. And at that point you were armed with all of the knowledge base that you've built over time. But I've been on, like I said, like seven shows and been on set once. And a lot of that apprenticeship doesn't happen anymore because we're writing our, our episodes discreetly. Like, hey, we wrote all 10. Great. Thanks, everybody. Um, we'll see you at the premiere. And then they go off to shoot the show in, in, in Johannesburg or Prague or wherever it is. They're not taking the writers with them. There's one producer, one showrunner who's doing it all himself or herself. And nobody's learning how to do it. We're not passing on that skill set. We're not creating the next wave of people for whom a studio will feel totally comfortable handing $200 million and saying, all right, go make that show about dragons. It's cool. You got this. Um, Instead, and I think, we're going to hand it over to chat GPT and be like, make us a show about dragons. Yeah, it'll be great. Like Now analyze every other show that's been about dragons and just do the ones that were good. Does not compute. Does not compute. Dragon show. <laughs> um, hey, somebody asked in uh, chat, Daniel Kolayani says, can you two talk about the process of getting the He-Man, uh, rather, Masters of the Universe, writer's room together and a peek into the negotiations so we could see what writers uh, up are up against with a studio? That's a fair question. It that, is. That was a situation where there was no there was a writer's room but there was no writer's room am i correct in that yeah i mean animation is is different than live action for a number of different reasons it's it's um there's a different guild that organizes animation writers it, the, the animation guild is the name of it it's iatsi um five thirty eight thirty seven, i think it is <clears throat> and so animation tends to work the way tv used to work a long time ago which is there's a showrunner head writer He's got a number, or she's got a number two, um, a, a chief assistant, a story editor, and then everybody else is kind of freelance, you know. And so for for masters, you know, we we would meet a couple times a week and talk through the story that that Kevin wanted to tell, and figure out the beats of that story. And then once we kind of all agreed with him, once Kevin was happy, once Mattel was happy, once Netflix was happy, and it's like, all right, everybody, go write your episodes. Um, I can't speak to the to the hiring of that room as much as you can, but that that was the process as far as I knew it. Um, there was uh, I remember there was a moment where we all gathered in my house and talked about what the season would be, but then there was talk about, hey man, like why aren't we getting paid for that? Uh, that was, and this was going back a few years. We just recently worked on Green Hornet as well, another animated project that I guess doesn't fall under the same Writers Guild rules. Yeah, like that was that was overseen by the Writers Guild of Canada, which you know has a sort of alliance agreement with the WGA. So they were very, they're very specific about like, hey, no, we'll pay you for the time that you're just generating on every story summit we got paid for. Um, you know, if I remember correctly, they paid into our health insurance and, and everything like, and it was great. And it was great. It was different from the, the, the master's room because they, I think were, were better positioned to take care of, um, the needs of the writers in ways that made them feel good and made us feel good. Um, what, uh, what, and where did, where is the studio or the, where do the studios 
stand on this. They haven't immediately caved and been like, oh, my God, give the writers whatever they want. No, the studios. Um, I read they've started canceling overall deals. Like I, that, guy, that, that's the first move. Really. David, there's a David Simon who worked on The Wire. and Yeah. Like he's they had a deal at HBO for fucking ever. And quarter of a century. Yeah, and they, they killed his overall deal. Yeah, I mean, they, the first step is, and this is part of their playbook, really, is first you suspend them. You say, listen, we're not going to pay you while you're on strike, but we're not going to make you go away. Then after like six or eight weeks, there's a time in which they can claim um, force majeure, fancy French word for saying, um, an act that they had no control over has made it so that you're not rendering your work services. And so now we can kill this overall deal completely. And an overall deal is basically like a down payment on a, on a writer's talent, right? Like if I'm giving, you know, with the promise that that writer will then deliver a hit show for them. So if I'm Netflix and I offer Shonda Rhimes an overall deal, it's because, oh, we're going to get something like Grey's Anatomy. We're going to get something like Scandal. We're going to get Bridgerton. And that'll be great for us. And so for us to be the people who get that next thing, we will pay you X amount of money a year. And for somebody like Shonda, for somebody like, like, you know, David E. Kelly, for somebody like, you know, J.J. Abrams, for somebody like Greg Berlanti, those deals tend to make sense. Um, but what this allows them to do is say, you know, those four or five billion dollars we were spending in overall deals over all of the writers that we have in our in our stable, we're just wiping the slate clean. That is now money we do not have to pay out every year. Um, and then then we'll negotiate. It lets them like reset the, the deck a little bit. Um, you know, and, and again, like overall deals, not everybody has them. Most people don't. Um, and the people who do have them, those are among the elites, you know, and it's, and it's not, it's not a dumb business decision to do that. I mean, Universal used to make, um, Guillermo del Toro movies, um, despite the fact that very few of them made money, um, banking that at some point he would make Shape of Water, you know, it's like, oh, here's the one that hit. Here's the one that made hundreds of millions of dollars and won us Oscars. It was worth making, you know, whatever Crimson, um, I wanted to say Tide, but I know it's not Crimson Tide, and I don't think it's Crimson Wave, um, but it was some like sort of gothic horror romance with Tom Hiddleston and, and Jessica Chastain that kind of nobody went to go see. Some people love, nobody went, but it was worth that it for happened them. happened already? It happened already. It happened about 10 years ago, I think. Oh, okay. Um, so, so overall deals, they get to wipe those clean. Um, and I think that that's when the studios begin to think for real about re-engaging with the guild and with their, their requests slash demands. They also wait to see what the other guilds do. The Directors Guild, I think, is up next in their negotiations. And after that, the Screen Actors Guild is up next. Yeah, they just announced both uh, the DGA and SAG also announced that the end of their deal with the AM. At least AMPTP. Mm -hmm. uh, when it's up, I think on J June thirtieth, uh, they've not renewed it yet. So that's that means they're going to go into negotiations next. It could be the summer of the strike. A lot of people are like SAG's not going to strike, DJ's not going to strike, but a lot of people were also saying writers aren't going to strike, and here we are striking. So it could be that the whole town shuts down for a. a, a red hot minute man i mean you know whose time it is right now aside from fucking reality tv um 
indie filmmakers, truly indie filmmakers, mm -hmm. not like the indie filmmakers that, you know, uh, populate Sundance these days, um, where they're just offbeat or off kilter films of, with, you know, very famous names. And I'm talking about now's your chance kids to make your clerks. Like if you're been sitting around going like, you know, I've always wanted to make a movie. And you could do so because you're not a member of the Writers Guild or the fucking DGA or SAG or anything like that. They're going to be looking for content pretty damn soon because you know the longer the strike goes on, the less is actually getting made and produced. Sooner or later, they're going to need product, man. So if I'm if I was any one of you cats who've never done it before, that's what I'd be pursuing right now, making that inexpensive, you know, no budget movie i've always dreamed about in the back of my mind because this is a there's a window here of opportunity um where soon every studio and streamer is going to need content now it also seems like the streamers are going overseas for content is that mm -hmm. correct as well i mean netflix has absolutely begun and netflix is the, was the first really global one um but when squid game hit in ways that nobody expected Squid Game to hit. They're like, hey, you know what? Turns out Korea's got a lot of television. It's like when, when RRR blew up, you know, last summer, um, it was, oh, you know what? It turns out that India and various parts of India are massive producers of movies and television. Um, maybe it turns out we should begin importing some of that stuff here as well. Um, you know, I think that there are networks like, you know, BritBox or whatever that, that have been delivering or, or aggregating British TV. There's 50 years of British TV that most Americans have never seen. Mm -hmm. um, so I think, I think, you know, they're going to their deep bench. You know, they have a library of stuff. They have, you know, the ability to, to sort of access international productions. Um, you know, so I think that for the, for the guilds, it's a matter of finding ways to put pressure. Hold on. A lot of people in chat going, wouldn't that make indie filmmakers scabs? Not at all. You're allowed to work for yourself. Yeah. You know, like that. And the guild has been very clear because we got a whole list of strike rules, things you could and could not do. But you can write for yourself. I can write a movie tomorrow. I can shoot a short tomorrow. Um, I can't do it via any particular union. And I definitely can't get paid to do so by any company that we're currently striking against. But you're allowed to be an entrepreneur. A hundred percent. Especially if you've nowhere near this business. Yeah. If you're just a person in the world. I, there was a time I was not a member of the of the Writers Guild. Um, you know, I was a complete outsider. So, no, this isn't a nobody's saying like cross the picket lines, be a scab. But if you're an indie filmmaker or a no budget filmmaker. Now's the time to be making a thing because sooner or later they're going to be looking for content. And that is definitely not being a scab. I'm so glad I watched chat because otherwise fucking. Get off the show and be like, we did a good thing today. And a bunch of people will be like, says scab. <laughs> yeah, like you're a scab if you cross the picket line to go into a studio and write and or and write something, write anything for anybody and have them pay you. Um, I mean, technically, I'm not even supposed to be on the studio property, um, you know, which is fine. Like, I, I have no reason to be on the Paramount lot. You know, I have no I have no business in there at the moment. Um you know, and, and striking, picketing, right now it's awesome. You know, right now it's like, you know, I was explaining to JC before we hopped on, it's like um, that first day in, in school after summer vacation 
when it becomes like, oh, hey, man, how have you been? I haven't seen you in forever. Did you have a good summer? It's a bit like reunion-y. Um, you know, and the spirits are high and people are chanting and singing and, you know, famous people are delivering donuts and pizza and, like, it's a bit of a party. Um, and so it's it's nice. I mean, and I'm getting my steps in. I'm, you know, I'm walking, like, four or five miles a day. My doctor's very happy with me being on strike. Um, it'll, it'll change. <laughs> Getting your steps in, are you? Getting my steps in. It's like it's like hiking a very flat runyon for you know <laughs> three hours a day. Yes, yeah, very flat runyon. <laughs> um, that'll change once we go deeper into the strike. Once I mean the the last strike was a hundred days. It was you know whatever that is three and a half months. Um, you know, and once we're doing this in August in Southern California in the Valley when it's one hundred and fifteen degrees out, you know, walking around the Disney lot. It won't be like singing and chanting and drum circles and donuts. It'll be, you know, the tan death march. Um, but I think the guild is resolved. And I think that, you know, if the other if the other unions um, see the existential threats that are facing their members as well, um, then I think it could we could all come to an equitable resolution that gives everybody what they need, not just now, but protects us for tomorrow. Um because to imagine that directors are somehow immune from AI seems short-sighted to me. Um, you know, the example that, that, that I used the other day on Instagram was like, let's say you wanted to make um, an erotic thriller, you know? And you're like, hey, man, you know who made great erotic thrillers? Alfred Hitchcock. You're like, hey, you know what? We're universal. We own all of Alfred Hitchcock's movies. Yeah. You know how AI works? We just feed it with data, with examples and then it churns out an aggregate of all those examples. So if I wanted a movie that looked like it was directed by Alfred Hitchcock, I could have AI analyze, ingest all of that catalog, and then spit out storyboards for an Alfred Hitchcock movie. G create animatics for an Alfred Hitchcock movie. Hell, put in fake actors for an Alfred Hitchcock movie. Hell, put in real actors for an Alfred Hitchcock movie. Like, all those things are possible. You know, the volume can make for your backgrounds. I mean, deep fakes can make for you actors. The the computer can make for you voices. Like, all of those things are possible. Uh, George DeWitt is asking in chat, Kevin Smith, aren't you considered management since you work with the studios to make your movies? So doesn't that mean Mark can't be on a podcast with you? Um. Well. Management? No, I'm a fucking writer. You know, a, a showrunner which you are is in what the show in, am I running well you were running green hornet but i mean that wasn't a show yet well it was a room like you know we we gather people together and you were we were doing the services um for that show even though we haven't you know it is what it is it is where it is right. but you know a, a showrunner is in the somewhat unique perspective of um employing people at the behest of a studio, but he's not an employee of the studio. He's an independent contractor of the studio. Um, so that doesn't quite tie him fiduciarily um, to the studio's interests. Um, I, I never thought of myself as management material. <laughs> um, I've always, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a rare, uh, uh, not rare. I'm just a different beast altogether uh, in this industry. And as much as, I came in from the outside and I could always go back 
to the outside. And I spin a lot of plates. So there's always different ways for me to earn a living. Um, you know, I can't write. I'm a, since I'm a Writers Guild uh, member, uh, clearly I'm not going to fucking cross lines and go write for any studio at this point or any network. But uh, uh, to be fair, there's not a lot of threat of that regardless. It's not like people are banging down my door and shit going like, we need fucking, I ain't fucking Greg Berlanti. Um, but in the in instance of this strike, like I could always go stand on a stage and do a live show. You know, my, me and Mark can do Fat Man Beyond live, you know, mm -hmm. it's a way to uh, put food on the table as well. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know that I've ever considered myself fucking management or part of the problem. Lord knows if I was ever like in charge, I'd be like, pay the writers, everything. I've always considered myself a writer first and foremost. That's all I ever wanted to be in the business. You go back and watch all my early interviews. Like when I first got into the industry, I take myself so fucking seriously as a writer. Like, you know, I, I've since lightened up, I guess after yoga hosers, it's very hard to take yourself seriously as a writer. <laughs> the audience certainly fucking doesn't. Um, but I, I've, that's what got me into this business was a dream of words. Long before I ever thought about making clerks, I wanted to write for Saturday Night Live. Like that was my first industry dream. My first industry dream is I wanted to be Tom Savini and Rick Baker and do special effects makeup, but I, I'm not a talented fucking artist in the least. In order to do that, you got to at least fucking draw or be able to sculpt, but I just wanted to play with fake blood and shit. But my my first real like concrete kind of, boy, I, that's what I want to do all through high school. I wrote sketches for the talent show and stuff uh, because I wanted to be a writer for Saturday Night Live. And then it wasn't until I saw Richard Linklater Slacker uh, in 1991, also not a Writers Guild project, you know, an independent film. That that made sense to me. I was like, oh, nobody's ever going to come discover me as a writer. And it seemed way too difficult to get into the business, um, you know, through traditional means. Here was a, a way to do it where I could make a movie and be in charge and be my own director and stuff. And, and uh, it, you know, it, it panned out for me on my first try thank the lord and then suddenly people some people not everyone and, and certainly no critics uh you know decided i was a filmmaker or a director but you know you if if with a gun to my head somebody was like pick a fucking job i'd be like writer so i've always identified as a writer first um even in my stuff the stuff that i wind up directing all begins with the fucking written word written and directed by Kevin Smith. Only once in my career, or twice, well, once cinematically, have I directed something that I was not the writer on, and that was Cop Out. Boy, that worked out. Um, I've written for uh, TV, and I've directed for TV when I haven't necessarily written the script, or haven't written the script at all. Every episode of The Flash that I directed, and every episode of Supergirl that I directed, the episodes of The Goldbergs that I directed, I did not write those. Um, and it was always weird for me because I don't value myself as a director unless I'm writing the script. So first and foremost, I've always thought of myself um, as a writer. And, you know, as soon as the Writers Guild strikes, I'm always like, all right, let's go. Because that's if, if I had to pick something to put on my grave, like what he was in this life, 
probably be writer, you know, even, even in podcasting, even in something like, you know, this, where it's kind of, uh, we're extemporaneously holding forth on subjects as we do on Fat Man Beyond. My brain works as a writer, you know, while Mark is talking, I'm never listening. I'm, I'm thinking of something to say next. <laughs> I'm writing the next thing I'm about to say, except in this uh, episode, because I was really uh, curious. I saw how Mark went so hard for the strike in all of his social media. And, you know, I was when Mark was like, we should do a show that's all about the strike. I had a I was going to do something else today. I had an opportunity to do a thing which went away anyway. But um, at one point, I was like, well, I don't want to do that thing because I'd much rather learn about the strike with Mark, with y'all. <laughs> so a lot of people in the chat who are like, I'm learning a lot. Fucking sign me up, too. I'm actually <laughs> learning a lot as well. Yeah, I mean, I'm 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 uh, I'm I'm a relatively inactive guild member in that, like, I don't go to meetings. I'm I'm part of the Writers Guild East and I live in Los Angeles. So, you know, they are you, are you a Writers Guild East member? I think I'm Writers I'm Guild East. I think I'm West. I mean, I started my career as East. Is that wrong not to know? Are people going to call me a scab again? Fuck. I mean, fundamentally, there's no real difference in as much as the guild, either East and West, still gives you the same protections. The health benefits are still great. You know, the, the pension is still really strong. Like, all that stuff is kind of across East and West. I just don't get invited to cool shit that happens out here because I get invited to cool shit that happens in New York that I can't go to. Um you know, because I was living in New Jersey when I got my first job and they were like, well, where do you want to register? And I said, well, which one is cheapest? Because again, first job, not making a ton of money. And East was cheaper. Um, but like I have friends who are on the negotiating committee. I have friends who are on the board. Um, I've been hearing about, you know, the, the goings on in, in the advance of every one of these negotiations for the last, you know, seven years, eight years while I've been officially in, in the guild and working. And even before then, like I was a journalist for the last strike. And so I remember covering the strike. Um, and so and being in a writer's room while the guild is starting its negotiations, you just start to hear and you're talking and, and information is kind of swirling. And so when we went on strike, it was, you know, the, the first job is like walk a picket. And then the second job is spread the word. Um, and this is the first strike in the social media era. And so I, that, that, turned into the way that I thought that I could contribute is just trying to, to get people to understand what it is we're looking for um, and how what it is we're looking for will have zero effect on the average person um, and will have a somewhat negligible effect on the studios themselves. You know, again, it's 2% of what we're looking for. Um, you know, so somebody, somebody did the math of here's the salaries of the CEO of each one of these companies. And if you add four out of the seven of them up, that's as much as we're asking for, <laughs> you know, um, which doesn't seem like a ton of money in the grand scheme of things. Um, it, it's a rounding error for a lot of, uh, you know, companies that this size, Apple does not care um, how much they'd have to give up. You know, Amazon could care less because streaming content for those two companies are negligible at best. You know, whatever they make on Rings of Power or Ted Lasso or Foundation or Reacher. God bless you, Jack Reacher. Um, oh, fucking Reacher. Aren't they? They're done shooting, right? So they're not they're done shooting. Strike. 
So yeah. any minute now, we'll be able to watch fucking Reacher while the strike is going on. And if, if God, could you imagine if we had Reacher on the fucking oh. strike? Just walking through the studio gates and <laughs> stopping people to death. More money! Um, you know, I'm and then, die, you know, fucking breaking necks and shit. Yeah, I mean, the, Look, nobody wants anybody to get hurt during the strike. <laughs> yes. Despite but, the fantasias of Kevin Smith, we don't want yeah. to get that stopped. being said, fucking, we just happen to like Reacher quite a bit. Yeah. You haven't seen it, kids. Reacher is Batman without the fucking cow. <laughs> Batman meets the Punisher. Is Batman without the cow, Punisher without a gun? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, you know, and what the strike is actually getting done this time that it didn't get done last time is now we have the support of the Teamsters. The Teamsters, if you don't know, boys and girls, are the people who drive the trucks in Hollywood. Um, they're the people for whom every camera that's being delivered onto a location, every costume truck, every every driver of a star, everything that moves on wheels is controlled by the Teamsters. And the Teamster, the, the head of the Teamster union, their boss, seems to be like a down-for-the-cause woman from Detroit who's had a Jimmy Hoffa tattooed on her arm. And she's like, if there's two people walking a picket line, the Teamsters won't cross it. Like, we respect the union. We respect your right to get what you want. And as long as there's two people on that on that picket line, we will turn the trucks around. And they've shut down filming. Like, Daredevil, Born Again, shut down in New York. Wonder Man, here, shut down in New York. I mean, in L.A. Um, Wonder Man's been shut down? Wonder Man's been shut down. Um, even though their scripts are done. Even though their scripts are done. You know, if you can't roll the truck onto location, if you can't bring the stuff to where you're shooting, if you can't deliver stuff, you can't really shoot. And so being able to turn those trucks around has actually you know, said, hey, you know what? The Duffer brothers were like, you know, we are not going on set. You know, we cannot do our jobs on the final season of, of Stranger Things because we're writers first. And that's that's how we identify and we believe in it. And being on set to produce your episode, even if you're just producing and not writing, you're still writing. You're still giving, you know, alternates for lines. You're still deciding what to cut. Once you get into the post, post is another chance. Editorial is another chance to write the movie again. Um, and they're like, that's right. It's all writing. And so we're not doing it. Sorry, Netflix, but you're just going to have to wait until we resolve the strike for the next season of, of Stranger Things. So now, presumably, Netflix gets mad at that, right? Or are they like, we understand? I mean, they get mad at it, but they're not going to fire the Duffer brothers. Um, Why not? Like, they're first timers, right? These <laughs> Duffer kids, they don't know what's going on. Show the, that's who we're striking for. <laughs> we're striking for the young writers like the Duffer. <laughs> <You know? laughs> the newbies need some protections, so we want to get them those protections. Um how rich do you the, the Duffer brothers are probably way richer than we'll ever be in this fucking lifetime, right? I mean, I, I I'd like to think so, but also if Stranger Things was on ABC, they'd be swimming in money. Good point. Good point. This is why you come to the show, kids. Information <laughs> like what Mark's talking about right here. You're good. Excellent point. If it was a network show, they would be uh, you know. They, they, who I was trying to think, they'd be David E. Kelly for heaven's sakes. It'd be Aaron Spelling, like living in the biggest house in Hollywood, um, because they have the biggest hit on television. Um, and so, like, yeah, like Tony Gilroy said that he's you know stepping away from production on Andor. You know, I don't know if they're going to keep going, but it's hard to imagine that you keep making Andor without the guy who made Andor. 
um, and then expect it to be the Peabody winning, you know, Emmy nominated version of that show. Um, because that person nominated for an Emmy. Yeah. 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 Um, but that person needs to be there for quality control. That person needs to be there to make decisions. That person needs to be there to, to help, you know, just shoot it on the fly. Like I had an idea. Let's try it this way. Sometimes that gives you gold and that's, that's what you're banking on. And so there are some impacts that are happening, you know, across streamers and network shows. You know, there's some shows that are being shut down because they're trying to shoot anyway. There are some shows that are just not writing. Like Quinta Brunson was like, I'm sorry, we're not making, we're not making the next season of Abbott Elementary until we resolve this writer's strike. Apropos of nothing, she was a wonderful guest on SNL last month. Oh, so great. There was a there was an all-time great sketch they did on that episode of, of two people in cars, like <laughs> communicating with each other like fucking like you suck it was like instant classic sketch and she was very funny on that show but yeah so she does uh what abbott elementary yeah which is abc's biggest sitcom hit in a decade since the goldbergs you know and i i've never watched the goldbergs i don't know but the goldbergs did very well as is abbott elementary they seem to have won a cycle of like we're hanging a schedule on this show Mm. And right now they're hanging it on on Abbott Elementary, and their their next season will be delayed because they're they're not working for as long as this goes. Let's grab some questions from the audience. Uh, let me see. Um, Banff Sasquatch. Oh, Banff Man's here, man! Everyone, give it up for Banff Man. He's part of the strike as well. Banff Man, you a member of any guild? Uh, editors, seven hundred. So you're IATSE, right? Or uh-huh. the editors that's a separate guild, isn't it? The editors guild? Yeah, it's seven hundred. Versus it is it is IATSE though, I think. It's IATSE as well. Yeah. I'm part of the editors guild as well. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, what'd you pop in to say? Uh I wanted I had a question, then I had logged a couple questions throughout the chat. My question was uh part of what the writers want is transparency and streaming numbers, right? Mm-hmm. How If I've got the number two show, what does that actually mean? Are they keeping that hidden because if they tell the writers, then they have to share that with the shareholders and there it gets the SEC involved and it becomes a much bigger issue than just keeping it trade secret? Um, To the best of my knowledge they keep it secret because they don't want to tell anybody anything anyway um you know i think television would not have willingly shared what any show was rated unless they needed to tell advertisers how much that show was going to be worth for them um i think everybody by nature keeps data proprietary um and i think that's i I don't know if it gets into shareholder business i don't know if they have to somehow justify their phony baloney jobs once it becomes clear that nobody watched floors lava or whatever um but i think it is just a matter of principle in tech specifically um but i think in business at large is if it just don't tell anybody anything they don't need to know if we cannot tell them don't tell them um and so i think that transparency is one of the things that unites all of the guilds in this action which is everybody wants to know how their shows are doing so that they're managers and agents can negotiate for them a better deal next time so that they know oh hey i just did night agent for you and 300 million people watched it shouldn't i get a piece of that action 
um, as opposed to somebody who created a show that nobody watched and we're still somehow getting the same cut like that just doesn't seem equitable to anybody um, and so I think it's 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 prying from them something they are naturally predisposed to not sharing um, so I, I've got a couple that I pulled throughout chat uh, Anton wanted to know how do writers survive during a strike outside of just pulling from their savings? And is there a fund or anything that people can donate to uh, to help keep food on the table? Um, I think saving and knowing this was coming is a big part of it. Um, I think, as Kevin said, some of us are lucky in that we have different revenue streams which is we can do a podcast live and we can sell some tickets and that's money that comes in. Um, I can write comic books, which is a medium that is not covered by the guild. And so I could keep doing that. I could, you know, animation also not covered by the writer's guild. So like, it's a little funky um, because you're still dealing with the studios that are currently struck um, from the live action side to then have to deal with them on the animation side, but it's doable video games, not covered. Um, so I could write video games. Sasquatch um, Jenkins in, in chat suggests how long until the writers have to start an OnlyFans, and then somebody else said, "Call it OnlyPens." Can we do a? Can can we do that? Can we like write? Can, is there an equivalent to showing nipple for writers? I mean, I'm sure there are some writers who I, you know, some might want to see naked. Um, but if you wanted to just like, what is that Substack thing? Do people make money off of that? I think they did at one point. Some might still do the sort of newsletter um, kind of subscription model. Same thing with Patreon. Like, sure, drop a coin in the bucket every month. And, you know, you get access to these 19 blog posts that I wrote about whatever, my love for camembert cheese. Um, or, we could, or we could fucking move to Super Chat on this episode and get a <laughs> fucking Quan right there. JC, get ready to Super Chat that shit. <laughs> um. There, there is a, a, an entertainment um, support fund um, that currently exists. I don't know if that's the name of it. I, I can find out what it is and, and, and put it up on my socials. But there is a fund that people can donate to. But I think it specifically is for like lower level staffers, assistants, um, that kind of thing. Those folks have no protection at all. Like they, they were always making an hourly wage. They were always kind of scraping by a living four people to an apartment, you know, they were always hoping for the next gig and the lunch that you would get while working that gig so they wouldn't have to buy one extra meal a day. Like they were already clawing and hanging on by a thread. And so helping to support the assistants um, and the script coordinators and those folk while they do it is important. The Writers Guild does have a sort of strike fund, which is, um, and it's pretty healthily, um, it's pretty robust, that offers interest-free loans um, to writers who might need it. Um, in case you can't make a mortgage payment or in case you've got a, you know, tuition due or whatever it is, you have to repay the loan, but they're not going to hit you for interest. And I don't think there's an actual term enforcement to it either. Um, as, but otherwise, like people have asked me, like, how can I support you in your strike right now? It's just spread the word, you know, you know, help be an evangelist for this. Um, or drop off pizza and donuts at the strike lines. You know, like if, if you, if you see it, if you see a person wearing a blue shirt like this out there in the world, I got my strike shirt on because I just came from the picket line, you know, give them a honk of support. You know, if you, if you happen to run a business in town, either New York or LA, and you see a person wearing a shirt coming from the picket line or you see the picket line happening nearby, like bring somebody some cold water. 
you know, like bring a pizza, bring a whatever, honk a horn, shake a hand, you know, especially like there are folks who are out there at like five o'clock in the morning, you know, striking lots, um, picketing just to make sure that trucks don't roll. Like there, there was two people in New York who were just at like four o'clock in the morning, like picketing the billion set, like kind of by themselves. And it's like, that's, that's thankless work that nobody really gets to see. Um, and all of that stuff, support for that really matters a lot. Nobody's looking for a boycott yet. Nobody's asking people to drop subscriptions yet. So, like, if you want to prune <laughs> your bouquet of, of streaming subscriptions, by all means. But, you know, the, the guild isn't asking for anybody to do that yet. So I can't do that either. The uh, What you get out of writer Strike Kids as well uh, are very clever picket signs. Mm. All up and down. I mean, if you follow people on social media who are involved with the strike or even nearby taking pictures of the strike, you see a lot of great strike signs. The best one I saw was um, uh, Zach Knutson, who played the sexy stud of Kinky Kelly and sexy stud and Clark Sue, and he's also a director himself. Um, he he uh, put up a picture of a writer that and held a sign that said, chat GPT has no childhood trauma, <laughs> <laughs> which means that like, you can't, you know, fucking no computer is going to sit there and be like, Oh my God, fucking uh, my parents were hell. And that's why I could write you a moving scene <laughs> that an audience can connect with. Um, going back to the thing you were talking about, about streaming numbers, wouldn't it be fair to say, um, that when David Zaslav over at HBO Max started fucking killing shows and pulling, like, you know, they, they had a Seth Rogen movie for HBO Max. I think it was called The Pickle or something like mm -hmm. that. And then they pulled that out of rotation. And the idea behind that, the unspoken, and maybe correct me if I'm wrong, the unspoken idea behind that is if we leave this here, we have to pay people who worked on it um and it's not pulling enough numbers for us to give a fuck mm -hmm. is the correct read of that or am i wrong um yeah like residuals and again like they're they're the residual formula is different for everything um especially for movies that might have been made for originally for theatrical that then ended up going streaming especially for like older shit that was made before streaming contracts existed so like Sesame Street. Why are we pulling a hundred episodes of Sesame Street down? Why because, are they pulling a hundred episodes of Sesame Street? Because they don't want to pay the people who worked on the old episodes. Because that is all part of an old model. It's that every time you air this thing, you got to cut a check to these forty different people up and down the line. Um, and so I think they ended up saving money by just listen while it's on here. And now I'm sure they have some kind of time thing as opposed to. For a month, we owe X as opposed to every time we owed Y. But either way, they're saving money by pulling down um, library content, especially stuff that was made prior to streaming contracts. And that's like about the only way you could figure out not streaming numbers, but what they feel does or does not have value. If right. they start pulling shit off, they're like, well, we ain't earning enough money off this. When the streaming wars began and streaming began in earnest, you know, it, it was this promise of uh, we've turned on a tap that will never fucking be turned <laughs> off. And you could, you know, boy, you think YouTube was great. We're going to put up every episode of every TV show you ever loved and you're going to have access to it forever for fucking $9.99 a month. But then the unions caught up with streaming. 
like as we're seeing right now, where suddenly streamers are like, well, perhaps we promised too much too soon because there's a bunch of stuff that sits on a, a Netflix or an HBO Max that goes untouched. Just because it's there doesn't mean somebody's always clicking on it. Think about how often you go through uh, the, the list and pass tile after tile. Not everything is fucking friends where high school kids will click on it and watch the whole fucking show in a weekend and stuff like that. Some shit won't ever get fucking touched just because it's there. I mean, you know, I used to work in a video store. We had fucking thousands of video titles, but there was a bunch that never got fucking touched. Um, same thing with streaming. So now in a world where like the, the unions are catching up with streamers and they're like, well, you still got to pay for some of this shit. They're like, well, I'm not paying for something nobody fucking watches. Mm -hmm. That's ridiculous. We're not a fucking public service. We're not PBS. And PBS, you know, uh, was the home of Sesame Street until HBO, what, bought the entire library? Yeah, I think HBO became the sort of corporate, the, the overwhelming corporate sponsor. I don't know if the Heller Rubenstein Foundation still has a piece. I don't know if PBS, I'm sure the PBS Studios still is involved in it. But yeah, HBO kind of bought it lock, stock, and barrel. And so they have Sesame Street. And then it became now we're, we're counting on the largesse of corporations to give us what had been, you know, a generational good thing. Um, and I still, I think I mentioned it before, I still feel bad that we failed Sesame Street as a, as a society. Like, guys, all we have to do is buy a fucking tote bag once a year and we had Sesame Street for free forever. <laughs> Bam. I, oh, I will. Bam, Bam I man. Will Get Sarah, that super chat. Don't get that super chat ready, man. Uh, I think it's on. Uh, I think Will Wilkins put it on. Uh, yeah, they did. Will Wilkins put it on. Yeah, um, I will say that when HBO did that, PBS said, fuck you. And they put all the stuff that they owned still up on YouTube for free. So I, I watch a lot of Elmo on YouTube with my daughter. <laughs> so there is PBS is fighting the good fight. Always, always fighting the good fight. And all they ask is, as Mark said, you buy a fucking tote bag, you <laughs> sons of bitches. Uh, Ralph Cotto in chat said, will the writers of your, I'm not going to say the sponsor name, ads also be on strike? Please say yes. That's very humorous, but it allows us a segue. Oh, nice. To, in the midst of our strike uh, chat, kids, uh, we got to pay some bills here and stuff. Uh, we got a sponsor this week uh for this episode even for this episode we got a sponsor man and it's the good folks our good friends at native ladies and gentlemen uh i love feel the feeling of soaking up the sun this time of year but with all that time in the sun i'm always worried about protecting my skin you know what i can't this, this is a lie i never think about my fucking skin ever and i'm always told you have to fucking wear sunscreen by people who care about me and and love me and shit but I don't. But, you know, I will now. You know why? Because mm. Native makes a goddamn sunscreen, man. They can give my skin the protection it needs and soak up so I can soak up that much needed sun. Native makes sunscreen. Can you imagine this? We've been we've been promoting Native since since Native was born, man. They make the, this shit. They put on your armpits. They make this shit. They wash your face with. They make this shit. They, not hats, but that you wash your hair with. <laughs> But now they make fucking sunscreen. Is there anything Native doesn't make, for heaven's sakes? Listen, I, I, right now, I am the person for whom Native is advertising to. Because I, like you, don't traditionally wear sunscreen. But I have been walking a picket line now 
for the last week and a half. And I've been out in the fucking sun and I'm beginning to peel and I'm not loving it. But and I realize it's because I'm not wearing fucking sunscreen because I'm not used to doing it. So now, now I need to know. Tell me more about this native sunscreen, which I need to wear because I'm tanner than I need to be. Kevin. Well, let me tell you all about it. Natives quickly absorbing ultra sheer hydrating and lightweight sunscreen formula offers a broad spectrum SPF 30 protection from those UVA and UVB rays, man. All native sunscreen is made with a 20% active zinc oxide formula that is dermatologist tested and suitable for even the most sensitive, sensitive of skins. All native sunscreen is made with oils derived from plants. Plants, not aminals, plants. That, that see, because if you've fucking seen Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, you'll never want to hurt a goddamn animal again. Um, plants they derive their oils from that seal in skin moisture and it's vegan and cruelty free man don't make a rocket raccoon for heaven's sakes choose from one of native's three delicious but subtle scents for example coconut and pineapple mm. rose or sweet peach and nectar doesn't that sound delicious makes me hungry all for your face or for your body man or try native's unscented option let's say you're one of those people who's like i don't need fancy fucking smells just protect my goddamn skin from the uva and the uvb well you could get unscented option as well my favorite would be pineapple i love the smell of pineapple mm, i'm all well, that sweet peach and nectar business right there are you really look at you i eat a peach mark's getting all dirty and shit mm -hmm. that's why we got a fucking strike because that that level of writing people are like i ain't paying for that fucking sweet peach talk <laughs> shit Holy shit, he's writing peach emojis. That man loves ass. <laughs> and nectar. <laughs> With all native sunscreen, man, you get protection from the sun that is free of uh, chemical actives, oxybenzone, octanoxate, and avobenzone, which makes native sunscreen compliant with the Hawaii Act 104, which was passed in an effort to protect Hawaii's reefs, man. They ain't just protecting your skin. They're protecting the goddamn Hawaiian reefs. The, the, Thank you, Native. Company. Come on. Give your skin the protection it deserves with Native's mineral sunscreens. Go to nativedeo.com slash fatman or use the promo code fatman at checkout. You get 20% off your first order. That's nativedeo.com slash fatman or use the promo code fatman at checkout. Native DEO dot com slash fat man say it with me native deo dot com slash fat man or use the promo code fat man we thank the good folks at native uh for sponsoring this here show oh, yeah. we talk about the strike and whatnot uh they're they're, they're not cross they're not scabs they're trying to make sure you never get scabs yes. nice thank you thank you i made it yeah. relevant to our whole discussion here uh we thank the good folks at native uh, and we thank if you want to thank them, go to nativedeo.com slash fat man and buy some of their cool ass shit, man. Get that sunscreen, Mark. Oh yeah. No, I have to because it's gonna it's gonna get peely. And nobody wants that. Nobody wants peely. Um let's uh let's uh let's talk more about this here strike. I see a lot of super chat happening. No, no. Uh before we jump into that, uh, you know, you want to see me and Mark do a show. A lot of people are asking, hey, man, what happened to Fat Man 400? We call this, I think uh, it's up here as Fat Man 399.1 because we don't want to do show 400 online. We've been avoiding it because we want to do it live at 
Scum and Villainy Cantina. But it's sooner, so you're going to see a 399.2, 399.3, so that we can get to 400 officially and uh, yeah. do it at the Scum and Villainy Cantina. And there's so much to fucking talk about uh, in as much as Guardians happened. Um, the whole world found out I went fucking crazy. I put up my mental health video and when I see a lot of nice people in chat wishing me well and whatnot, also wishing my mom well. My mom uh, has been in the hospital for over a month and stuff. And uh, yesterday she got the tube pulled out of her nose, a feeding tube that she's been on for like a month and shit. And she had a tracheostomy because she couldn't breathe as well. So they just took the tracheostomy out today. So she's getting steps closer to getting out of where she is and going to a uh, rehab facility not because she's loaded or anything but because she has to relearn to walk she's been in a fucking hospital bed for over a month not moving and stuff so they got to teach her to walk um i'm going to see her uh friday night i'm going out to florida and uh, i'm going to be there of course for mother's day mother's day is this sunday kids it is um you but a lot of people in chat have been asking about uh, can we see me you can we see you and mark Sooner or later, yes, but I do know of one live show that we've got coming up, mm. or two of them actually. I think it's August twenty fifth, which you 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 know you're sitting there going, "What? That's far away." Get your tickets now. Mark returns to New Jersey to a venue we both love that I have no ownership in whatsoever called Smodcastle Cinemas. Yes, it's my movie theater. <laughs> uh, in March, we did Fat Man Beyond there and had a blast. One of the best shows we ever did. August twenty fifth, we return to Smodcastle Cinemas to do Fat Man Beyond Live. Again, tickets available right now at SmodcastleCinemas.com. And then the next night, I think it is, we're doing our double feature, Keep Calm and Curry On, where we show Clue and then Legend, a double feature in honor of, of Tim Curry. Um, also, tickets for that also available at SmodcastleCinemas.com. At Smodcastle Cinemas last weekend, we did Jane Silent Bob Strike Back. Jason Muse came out, and it was fucking wonderful and stuff. Mm. Uh, coming up, we've got I'm 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 away for a couple weeks. I return May 26th is a Friday. We're doing Jaws, the movies that made me series, and we're showing Jaws. Nice. Um, then we're also doing uh, the next night Red State. If you want to watch Red State with me and do Q and A afterwards. Um, that's happening. Then May 28th on the Sunday is Jersey girl colon the Snyder cut. That's right. We're showing the longest version of Jersey girl ever made. Um, and that nobody ever saw except one audience, uh, the audience at, uh, Volgathon 2005 when we had a bunch of cats at the Cinerama dome and we showed the uncut version. First time in 18 years that it's going to be seen. And those are the next few events coming up at smartcastlecinemas.com if you don't mind i will uh find i'll tell you about the other ones as well man uh because we got a bunch of cool shit coming up and people are like i want to support you during the strike well come to my goddamn movie theater don't wait for a strike come to it fucking now you know who should strike film exhibitors good god there's no money in this business whatsoever um holy shit ben affleck's got a movie coming out on the 12th two days from now hypnotic oh ben that's affleck. right yeah, in a movie with, by, directed by Robert Rodriguez. Also on the 12th, Book Club, you know, mm -hmm. to uh, uh, 
the, is a sequel. It's not even the first one. It's the second book club. Book club two, I think. The fi- the, the next chapter. I was going to say the final <laughs> chapter. <laughs> not the final chapter. <laughs> book club, the next chapter. Um, what do we got? A the June, final reckoning. The final reckoning. Ladies reading books. <laughs> um, Hollywood Babylon returns to Smog Castle Cinemas on June 3rd. Uh, me and Ralph Garman doing uh, uh, Hollywood Babylon there. Tickets at smodcastlecinemas.com. Go buy them right now. We'll wait while you do it. Uh, we just added last night on July 1st, Bear is Driving, the Clerks cartoon marathon. So we're going to show <laughs> all six episodes of my ill-fated Clerks cartoon that ABC only aired two episodes of out of fucking order. Uh, Jeff Anderson, Brian O'Halloran going to be there for that. You can come watch, take pictures with us and shit like that. July 2nd is the Blues Brothers, movies that made me the Blues Brothers. You can watch the Blues Brothers uh, with me, and I'll ch- chit-chat afterwards. This is a badass thing, man. You ready for this? And you might have to come out for this, Mark. Oh. We just added this. July 29th, Superman Lives. We're doing a script reading of of my Superman script. Wow. Yes, the one that they never made and shit like that. Um that's going to be a good-ass time. Tickets for that. SmodcastleCinemas.com. Who can I play? You name it. Superman? Done. <laughs> Done. We'll beat Warner Brothers to the punch, man. Before they have a black Superman, we'll have a black Superman. Guy we here. did it! Um, and then, of course, the aforementioned Fat Man Beyond on August 25th. And uh, Keep Calm and Curry On on August 26th. Uh, tickets right now. Go get some damn tickets. Look at all those Super Chat questions lighting up. Never mind Super Chat. Go buy tickets for SmodcastleCinemas.com. Go to the Coming Soon page. See what's coming. And uh, you'll uh, you'll definitely see some stuff that'll make you happy. And I have to imagine that people might be able to find us in some fashion or regard at Comic-Con in July. That's right. Oh, we are going to be doing a show there. Remember last Comic-Con? We had uh, 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 the Tin Roof Inn. We turned mm-hmm. into movies. And then we did shows there all weekend. We're doing the exact same thing this year. We haven't officially announced it yet, but you heard it here first. So we'll be doing Hollywood Babylon there. We'll be doing Fat Man Beyond there. Probably Jane, Silent Bob, Get Old. Same lineup that we did last year. So that's going to be during Comic-Con. Let me ask you this. Do you think the strike lasts until Comic-Con? Do you think the strike lasts? It's May right now. Will we still be striking in July? Um, I I think unless the DGA and, and SAG decide to strike as well. I think that's the big pressure point is if everybody strikes, then I think we get this wrapped up, you know, like mid-July. If not, September, maybe. Wow. The summer of the strike. Joshua Mundhall, who was, remember our super chatter last time we did a show or when we did the super chat and fuck it. He said, remember he was there for when we did uh, the Ides of Mark. He came out from uh, Texas. Mm-hmm. He said, Kevin, I will pay for John Borman's Excalibur to run on June 21st, and the cinema can keep all the money made from tickets and concessions. I just want to see the greatest film ever made the way it was meant to be seen. Let's let's see if we can accommodate, man. Fucking June 21st, what day of the week is that? June 21st is a Wednesday. We're open. You know what, Josh? <laughs> I, honestly, I've been thinking about that because I remember he was like so insistent about it. And I asked Ernie, I was like, can we get Excalibur? And it's a Warner Brothers title. And Warner Brothers is generally pretty cool about 
rep houses. And Warner Brothers and Universal particularly is very good to work with, man. Mm. Um, I might make that happen for you, Josh. I mean, we, it may be me and you alone in that theater watching the movie, but fuck it. You'll see Excalibur the way it was meant to be seen. And now, if you promise young Patrick Stewart, young Liam Neeson, and naked Helen Mirren, I think you'll get more than three people in that house. That's true. That's what you get when you see fucking Excalibur. Also, you see one of the best representations of the Arthurian legend ever committed to any medium, as far as I'm concerned. Way better than Disney's Sword in the Stone. Yeah, I said it. <laughs> I'm smelling uh, lavender, kids. Keep me calm, because uh, as of yesterday, I believe it was 16 weeks of me being weed-free. That's right. You're dealing mm. with weed-free Kevin Smith right here. And this is what fucking keeps me going. Lavender. Not this particular brand, but just lavender in general. Sometimes I buy it in a spray bottle like this. Mm. Ah. Just step through it. Just yeah. becoming, becoming uh, purple. Yes, I'm just calm, covered in fucking lavender and shit. It's deep purple. Um, what else can we talk about in regards to this here strike? Um, I don't know. Do we need to hit some of these super chats, or are they just people? Fuck saying, yeah, we need to hit some of these. Now you're talking. You know, you yeah. mocked me last time we did super chats, but now in a world where we have no writing writing salaries, this super chat this is the only way we're going to eat. So well, I you pick you you pick the super chats, man. I'll, we got, I'll, I'll we just got. say like I never minded super chats at the end, but it was when super chats were at the beginning. <laughs> yes, all throughout the show it was super. Oh chats. no, oh no. We got some biggies up there, man. Go ahead, hit them super chats, man. All right, let's hit do... those ninety nine dollar ones first. All right, Josh Mundell. Yeah, to Mark and Kevin, two writers I admire and appreciate. Stay inspired to inspire. Question: It seems for the last couple of strikes, Vizuja was at the target. How to get rid of them and do a single one-time payment like they used to do for jokes. So it's a fair price. That's what it is now. What it is, is they pay you a little bit more up front um, for writing a script in exchange for you not really getting residuals at the end. Um, which seems like it would work fine, except that it's it does not allow you to share in the success of the show. It, it just allows you to mortgage that for a little bit more up front and like sure most shows are not massive hits but we also don't know what a massive hit on netflix looks like um so it's really hard to say what a fair price would be without knowing exactly how many people are watching anything um so i think it all begins with 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 revealing the data with telling us the viewership um with being transparent about how shows are are, are performing then maybe there might be a fair price, potentially. Um, but that's a fair price that would also have to change every year if it's going to go from being, you know, Stranger Things in season one to Stranger Things in season five. Um, because what a fair price was at the beginning is not a fair price at the end, um, which is why residual, there's already a formula there for that. So I think that's it, Josh. I think it's finding ways to be equitable. Josh, we're going to do that Excalibur screening, man. You watch June 21st. Anyone want to come see Excalibur at Smog Castle Cinemas? Come on out June 21st, man. Um, we're going to make that shit happen just for you. Just for you. Um, <laughs> but I also like that movie. That's why I'm, I'm happy to make it happen. Um, Iron Oxide did not pay to say this, but he said Kevin Smith is irrelevant. Meanwhile, he's here on my show. 
Can we oh, say that? Sweet irony. <laughs> Iron Oxide Entertainment. Um, didn't you know that I fucking went to a mental health facility? What are you trying to trigger me and send me back? <laughs> <laughs> Son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I have to check back in and shit. God damn it. Like, did a ghost walk over his grave? No, it's crazy. Again. <laughs> I'm crazy. I'll come for you, Iron Oxide. Son of a bitch. Oh. Uh, uh, DC, do you have more questions? I love when people say on, online, I've been dealing with that. Honestly, since I've jumped online, you know, I've been a creature of the internet, as I said in my mental health video, uh, for the last, uh, well, since 1995 is when we put theoskew.com up online. And ever since 1995, Mark, somebody has taken the time on my forum to tell me I'm irrelevant and never understood the irony of that. If you're here, Iron Oxide, I'm relevant. If I wasn't relevant, you wouldn't fucking be here. So you've exposed yourself as a fan mm. and I love you for it. I <laughs> love how much you love me and I love you right back. <laughs> answer, another, answer another question. Uh, let's see where else we're going here. Everyone's like, he just wanted your attention. He got it. Um, let's see. Well, okay. This is a lesser question and more just a, a, a statement, a clarion call, um, from Jeremiah Maxwell for the writers. Long live the writers. Oh, very nice, man. Fucking you. Somebody going to owe fucking Frank Herbert. Yeah. Right. For that. Did you see uh, the trailer for Dune 2? I did. Did you see Austin Butler, Yoga Hoser star Austin Butler as a bald fade? My beautiful fade. Oh, that makes sense, man, because Dave Batista was also a member of uh, the Harkonnens, and he's all bald as fuck, and yeah. so is what's-his-fuck. Stone. Yeah, Stone as uh, well, as the uh, Baron yeah. Harkonnen. So I guess it follows that fade would be bald as well. You read the books. Did it ever say, like, fade was bald as a baby's ass? <laughs> I don't <know. laughs> I don't recall. Um, I'd have to go back and check the text, but that's also a choice. That sure, fucking sexy, sexy bald fade. Um, but yes, he just wanted from a view from a view askew soldier in Alaska. This super chat is sponsored by Manscaped. Love you, Kevin and Mark. Can't wait for the cruise. That's right, the cruise. Oh yeah, is anybody coming on the cruise? Well, I know a lot of people are coming on the cruise. That's how relevant I am. Uh, we're at seventy percent sold. We're ten months out. From the fucking cruise, man. The cruise is uh, Jay and Silent Bob's cruise askew, man. We we set sail from Miami and go to the Bahamas, uh, and then we come back. Three day cruise, a three day cruise, and it worked out so well for Gilligan and shit. So uh, who's gonna be on that cruise? Any view askew motherfucker you could shake a stick at, man. You got Dante, you got Randall, meaning Brian O'Holler and Jeff Anderson, Trevor Furman who played Elias. Jay, who played Jay, Jason Muse, me. Um, uh, there's somebody else got added, a very prominent figure from Mallrats. They haven't announced yet, but he's coming. Um, and is it just movie people? Fuck no, man. It's also podcast pals, man. So me and Mark are going to be doing Fat Man Beyond on the boat. Are you doing other things beyond just Fat Man Beyond? I think so. I think I'm doing like a writer's workshop, maybe. Um that I, which will probably end up being the black man beyond because they're like do a black man beyond i'm like but i'm gonna have done a fat man with the dude like he's right there this is weird 
They're like, ignore him. <laughs> Do it without him. Look behind the curtain. The thing is, we have so many fucking activities, and there's gonna when all said and done, there'll be three thousand people on the boat. It's all us. It's not like oh, we're sharing the boat with other people. So, but they don't have a three thousand seat auditorium, so it's not like you can go to every fucking show. So some shows will be mm-hmm. scheduled against one another and stuff. So if you miss Fat Man Beyond, you get a chance to see Mark at Black Man Beyond yeah, um, or at dinner. Or, yeah, or uh, <laughs> at the casino because he's a fucking filthy gambling ass. Come on, come on, hit me, hit me. You'll find Mark by the all-you-can-eat shrimp bar <laughs> every fucking night. Do you eat seafood? I'm not. I, a seafood I do eat seafood. I remember going to uh, having this conversation in New Orleans because you were just like kind of miserable. It's like, how could you be miserable? Like, oh, it's food. He's like, I don't eat seafood, man. Yeah. Like, I, oh. I mean, I see food and I eat it, but not seafood. <laughs> uh, so yeah, you can get tickets at Jay and Silent Bob's Cruiseskew.com. Uh, if you want to join us on that cruise, 70% sold a relevant 70% sold, uh, a, t- a 10 months, nine months, maybe now before we even set sail. I honestly didn't think we'd set sail with even 50%. Like, yeah, I was like, I don't know who the fuck wants to go to sea with us. You could see me everywhere. You could see me at fucking Smod Castle on the land. But as <laughs> it turns out, Mark, people like to vacate. That's something I've never understood. One of the reasons I went crazy, but because I, I don't <laughs> vacate. I'm, I work constantly um, because most of my uh, adult life, all of my validation has come from fucking external forces, other people, not myself. So, um, you know, whenever somebody was like, why don't you take a vacation? I was like, I do. I went here. And they're like, yeah, but you did a show. I'm like, well, but why would I ever do a thing without doing a thing? Um, but other people don't have the same problem. Other people actually like going to a fucking place, man. My brother, I told my brother, I was like, I can't believe this many people bought this cruise this far out. And my brother's like, how many days is it? I said three. And he's like, that's why. Because he lives down in Florida and shit. He goes on cruises himself. And he's like, a three-day cruise is a wicked way to get away. And then you're offering like so much entertainment so they can do that as well. So it's not just a vacation where people get to go to a fucking cool place. But while they're on the boat, they're hanging out with you. They're watching shows. He's like, I completely understand it. So yes, Jay and Silent Bob Cruise Askew. See me there. See Mark there. See so many people. Ralph Garman uh, will be doing Hollywood Babylon. Andy McElfish will be doing Education. Jason Mews will be doing Jay and Silent Bob Get Old. Jennifer Schwalbach will be doing Plus One. The list never fucking ends. That's right. We got a girl on the boat. But I'm married to her, so hands off, motherfucker. We got one. We got one. <laughs> we got one. <laughs> um, What else we got? Hit another super chatter. Uh, let's see. No, that's the same one. And that's the same one. Out of Super Chats. Is that right? I see one from Beard McFly for two bucks. Oh, yeah. There it is. Hey, hey Kev, what happened to your pops uh, behind you? Uh, if you missed before we started the show, kids, um, since the writers went on strike and I'm a writer, I had to sell fucking everything in order to live, to get some fuel for my fireplace in May. <laughs> um I, I didn't. We're just moving. And uh, so the office, the museum, if you will, has been uh, broken down. All the shit that used to be behind me, I'll do this again. That shit's gone. That shit's gone. Everything's fucking gone and stuff. I, I put these few things up there so it wasn't so stark and fucking horrible. <laughs> uh, everything I own is packed up in boxes, some of which is out here in storage in Los Angeles. Uh, others of which uh, are, are were in two pods that 
went cross country to, to New Jersey. So when I get back to New Jersey, uh, May 26th for um, Jaws and then Red State and then Jersey Girl, the Snyder Cut on May 26th, 27th, 28th, I'm also going to get to unpack the pods. Well, I think the pods will be unpacked by that point, but I get to go into the storage and play with all my shit. Before we have screenings, before every screening at, uh, I think we did it before we did uh, Fat mm -hmm. Man Beyond. We do an auction where it's like I auction off or sell one of a kind things like that, you know, been sitting in my closet forever or props or anything like that. Fucking like it's, it, and we do it because fucking we make no money as film exhibitors, man. Like uh, I tell them every time when I do the auction, uh, Avatar 2, the biggest fucking movie of the last year. Um, we had on opening night, Friday night, seven o'clock, 12 fucking people. Um, the Creed uh, uh, 3, also one of the biggest movies of this year, six people on opening night. Friday nights are fucking terrible for us at Smart Castle Cinemas. Um, Shazam, Shazidden at all. Um, uh, Evil Dead Rises, which did very well. It's a movie that's doing 50, 60 million at the box office. Our opening Friday night had one fucking person in it and shit. But you know who I love? You know who I'll eternally be grateful for? That sweet little Italian man, Super Mario. Mm. Oh my God, that movie keeps making money for the fucking theater. It's crazy, man. Fucking, we're, I've, I've come to accept the fact that we are a view askew rep house cinema. Because anytime we do a thing, we did Chasing Amy with Jason Lee, Mall Rats with Jason Lee and Jeremy London, both sold the fuck out. Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back with me and Jay sold the fuck out. Jay and Silent Bob Reboot on 420 had like 150 people at it. And that was on like a fucking Thursday or something like that. So when I show my old shit, like we're showing Clerks, uh, the car, Bear is Driving, the Clerks cartoon marathon uh, is coming up in, in June. I fully expect that will be sold out because we got Brian O'Halloran and Jeff Anderson coming in for that. So those movies do very well. I bought a movie theater so I can show my old movies, I guess. Um, but kids' movies do insanely well at Smod Castle Cinemas in Atlantic Highlands, New Jersey. Go for tickets at smodcastlecinemas.com. Um, kids' movies do very, very well for us. Um, so in any event, we do auctions before each screening. And uh, the one we did before Jane Sal and Bob Strike Back was fucking astounding um and that helps us pay our fucking staff and keep the lights on because we just got an electric bill like they ernie was like we just got the biggest electric bill i was like why did we use a lot of electricity this month and he said no uh, they found out that they hadn't read our meter or fucking turned it like looked at it since we took over so it was an electric bill that went back six months man it was like oh. almost seven thousand fucking dollars and shit so you know, uh, the auction we had really helped us pay that off because I'll tell you right now, fucking brand new movies ain't packing them in. Like, you know, are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. There was a night where that had three people. Um, there was one night where we were doing, uh, we did a program recently called Revenge of the Smith where I showed, we did it on May uh, on Re May 5th, Revenge of the Fifth. <laughs> and uh, it was me pulling all the Star Wars clips from every movie that I ever made, you know, I referenced Star Wars a lot and it was only 41 minutes of content. So I was like, oh, this show is going to be fast. Four hour fucking show. How, how do I turn 41 minutes and four hours? I have no idea because I get up after each clip and tell stories about how it happened, why it happened and stuff like that. So it was a walk down memory lane and stuff. So 
Um, all the shit that used to be behind me, like all those fucking one of a kind pops, will be auctioning off at Smodcastle Cinemas before shows to keep the lights on and stuff. So when you come see a movie at Smodcastle, or at least one of those movies that I'm involved in, if it's a presentation that I'm doing, you come make sure you it's gonna be a late night, man, because the like the pre-show auction before Jay and Silent Bob strike back was 90 minutes before we even started the movie. There was a guy in the audience who was like, are we ever going to watch a fucking movie? I was like, oh, yeah. Just you wait. Yeah, just as soon as we make all the money we need. Uh, <laughs> speaking of all the money we need, I see a lot of Super Chats up there. Go through it and pick, a, pick them out. All right. Uh, Jarrett Dugas just asked, uh, hey, guys, wanted to ask if y'all were going to do any more Batman movie commentaries. Uh, I love and appreciate the ones y'all have done and apologies if y'all have done some more and they just aren't on YouTube. How do, we, gonna... how do we get the money for that? Like if a bunch of people put up super chat questions, do they just pay when they put it up or do they pay when we answer the question? Uh, I, I, I think just Will is taking all of the money and just fucking buying barbecue or some shit. I mean, Will put up some money himself to ask a question, which we can get to next. Anyway, let's answer that question. Will we do another Batman commentary? Fuck yeah, because we can't write anymore. <laughs> so Now's the time. Now would be the absolute fucking time to do that commentary track. Um, which one do we owe? Which ones do we owe? We stopped with Batman Begins. So we owe Dark Knight. And Dark Knight. I'll fucking watch that movie. I, honestly, I'll have no commentary during it because I'm just going to be like this. Yeah, I'll just be mouth breathing the whole fucking time. That was cool. That was cool. Yeah, wasn't that great? Oh my god, that was so great. Um, and then we'll do uh, the Dark Knight Rises. Yep. And then we owe uh, the Batman. Not, I'm not doing the other ones. <laughs> I don't know if I can do the Batman. Can I skip those? I don't know if I could do the Batman. It's so. It's. I mean. I guess, you know, I guess there'd be a lot to say. You know what? Actually, that would be one of the better ones. Um, people love the Batman Beyond commentary tracks that we've done. Um, I, I see people constantly on my uh, Twitter feed and, uh, you know, um, whenever we do this, people pop up. They're like, when are you going to do that again? Mm. We will do Cheers. it again. Uh, do another super chat. Get get fucking Wills, man. Get his money. We're, we're going to see where Wills is. I don't know how to do it. Um, I'm just, I'm just. Oh, Will Netheads, uh, Will, uh, you know, does a show called Netheads, which you could support if you like good old Will Wilkins. Um, he's not Banff Man. What name did we give him? He's a, a Dilf Man, right? Dilf Man. Dilf. He would pop up and say Dilf. Um, uh, Netheads Will says, support the writers. And while you're at it, subscribe to Netheads here on YouTube. There you go. He used it to make his own goddamn commercial. Very smart. Mm -hmm. Very wise. Um, Drew Tannenbaum for $9.99 asks, cannot wait for J.G. Snyder Cut. Uh, yes, uh, that's going to be a good time. Jersey Girl, the Snyder Cut, May 28th at Smock House of Cinemas. Also, would you be open to signing any of your Daredevil stuff at the signing in July? Yeah, we're having a signing at Jane Silent Bob's Secret Stash because Secret Stash Press my comic imprint at uh, Dark Horse, which now I'll be fucking writing a lot more for. Mm -hmm. I can't write for the Writers Guild and shit like that. Um, uh, we're doing a signing. It's sold out already, but we're going to add a second day. All the slots for Saturday sold out because two hardcovers are coming out. Masquerade, one through four hardcover, and Quick Stops, one through four hardcover are coming out. Um, 
so uh, Brian O'Halloran's joining me for the the signing on, I think it's July 1st. And then I think we're adding a July 2nd or the next day, a Sunday signing since all the slots sold out. Um, and he says, uh, will I sign DD stuff? I'll sign whatever you fucking bring. You know, I'm sure Mike Zapsick will be like, only four things or whatever the fuck, but you bring it. I'll sign it. You know how long it takes me to sign a thing? It's like, it's one of the easiest things I fucking do in my job. Uh, also looking forward to Bears driving later that day. That's going to be fucking the move, man. July 1st, Bears driving, the Clerks Cartoon Marathon at SmackHouseCinemas.com. Go get your tickets right now, kids. Um, Chris M for five bucks. Come on, Chris. What are we going to do with five fucking bucks? Come on. <laughs> Kevin considered showing prawns at the theater, drive that business up. We have considered it. Uh, apparently, uh, the, the good folks in, in the town, fathers and mothers of Atlantic Highlands, uh, New Jersey, long time ago, because that movie theater has been, you know how old my movie theater is, Mark? Huh. 102 years old. Older than AMC? Can you believe that shit? Uh, Does Heartbreak feel good in a place like that, too? Yes. They opened it as a, a garage years ago. And then in 1921, um, it became the Atlantic Theater. Just recently, at um, it wasn't, I don't think it was at the Jane Silent Bob Strike Back screening. I think it was at, oh, when we did the Guardians Watch Along, Watch with Kev. Periodically, I do that. Like, for example, June 16th and 17th, Friday and Saturday, when The Flash comes out, I will be doing a Watch with Kev at at Smod Castle Cinemas. Tickets haven't gone on sale yet because they haven't put the tickets for Flash up for sale yet, although it should be damn soon. But I'll let folks know via my social media channels when that happens. We did a Watch with Kev for the Guardians, opening night at Guardians of the Galaxy, the Thursday night screening. Thursday night at Smod Castle Cinemas, we had hundred fucking fuck, 150 people there. <laughs> um, all of whom paid $5 more to watch the movie with me and watch me do a Q&A for a movie I had nothing to do with whatsoever. Uh, so somebody in that audience brought a lobby card from the Atlantic Theater from the 19, I want to say 30s. Um, it had a Jolson movie listed and, I, and somebody else, I want to say Betty Davis or something like that. Maybe, maybe not Betty Davis, but... It was amazing, man. The guy had it framed and shit like that. I traded him a signed hockey jersey and free tickets uh, for it. And we're going to be hanging it up in our lobby. But that's our theater's fucking old, man. Like we were talking about, can we get it protected? You know, one of those mm. that are like, this is a fucking historic landmark and shit. So we're looking into that now. And in any event, as Chris M asked, what about showing prawns? In the town ordinance, we cannot show fucking prawns. Can't show any adult movies there. Because believe uh -huh. me, I thought for a second I could make a nickel off people doing a circle jerk in my movie theater. <laughs> you better believe. <laughs> you better believe I'd fucking do it. Uh, never, you know, we can't get people to show up for Are You There, God? It's me, Margaret. But maybe we could get them to show up for Are You There, God? Let's jerk off to this pornography together. <laughs> but sadly, that's not the case. So no prawns. No prawns. Uh-oh, look at this shit. I see a forty nine ninety nine. For almost $50 fucking super chat. And people keep pointing out that, you know, uh, YouTube takes 30% of the super chat. I'm like, I get it. I mean, I, I didn't, I didn't think we were getting all of this. I mean, you know, get nothing for nothing in this fucking life. Mm -hmm. And YouTube built this thing. So I'm sure they take their cut, man. Um, in any event, who Disney said, Hey, Kevin and Mark, hope the writers get what they deserve 
soon. This is Brian Plato from NOLA. Oh, shit, Brian. He's in, he was in uh, Jane Silent Bob reboot with us. Mm-hmm. He started as like a background extra in that movie. He went on to Bill and Ted face the music, got to work on that and shit like that. And now he's like, he went from a background guy to a, what's not background, foreground guy. Like he's, he's suddenly he's in movies and shit. Anyway. Yeah, I met him at the, some of the, the Overlook Film Festival. He swung through. He was there at the Overlook? He was there. He came to see Splinter. Mark showed his movie Splinter there. How was that when you did it? Oh, it was awesome. So much fun. It's also New Orleans. So, hooray. Uh, he asked, did you ever get to read the tune that I wrote? Hemp Night, Rise of the Voodoo Zombie Blunt Man. It's the one Mark and I talk about, talked about for Splinter Kickstarter. Yeah. I have not gotten to read it. Mark, did you get to read it? I did read it because he had uh, one of the, the tiers of backers for the, the Splinter Kickstarter was that somebody would send me up to 100 pages of whatever and I'd read it and we'd talk about it for about an hour. Um, um, I remember it being like, if Kevin loves this, it's awesome. I don't know if anybody would or could love it as much as Kevin would or could love it because it is very much a, a love letter to, to Blunt Man. Um, speaking of a love letter to Blunt Man, <laughs> hmm. You know what? I can't speak about it. So let's just leave it there. <laughs> Do you want to see my dick? Nobody wants to see your dick. <laughs> well, I can't show you anyway. Uh, we answered Josh Mundhall's question. Um, didn't we? We did. Yeah. He's staying inspired. It seems the last couple of strikes. But yeah, you answered, answered that. You answered Jeremiah Maxwell's $99 question, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which wasn't a question. He just said, can't wait for the screws. For the crew, for the screws, for the cruise. <laughs> On that cruise, lots of screws. Jeremiah Maxwell. Um, no more super chat questions. So we could just go to the regular chat questions of Fungil. I asked, Kevin, is that lavender? It is. This is lavender spray, man. I love it. It keeps me calm. It smells so fucking good. Uh, as I said earlier, Tuesday is 16 weeks for me, weed free. I guess technically, what is that, four months? I, I should stop mm-hmm. doing weeks, but it sounds so much more impressive. But it's been about four months since I smoked weed, man. Now, to be fair, prior to that, I'd been smoking weed straight for since 2008, 15 years almost. I almost reached my 15-year anniversary of smoking weed. I started smoking. Um, well, first, I smoked with Seth Rogen on the rap day of James, uh, not James, uh, Zach and Mary make a porno. But then I didn't smoke again until July. So, yeah, I guess I'm way... Uh, way months away from hitting the official 15 year anniversary. But if you go from calendar year to calendar year, I smoked weed for 15 years, fucking straight 10 of those years. The last 10 was like to a dissociative fucking amount. (laughs) I talked about that in my mental health video, which could watch right here on YouTube. Trauma is trauma. It's called a lot Mm -hmm. of people like that's the best movie ever made. And I fucking that traumatized me. <laughs> Further traumatizing me. I might have to go into the fucking booby hatch because I'm crazy. Um, but a lot of people have been uh giving me very nice uh notices about that it, right here in chat. I've been off social media, man. When I put that thing up, I was like, I'm not going back to social media. I saw that as my Cortez moment where mm-hmm. I was like, I could burn my ships. I'm in the new world, I could burn my ships to motivate my men. So I haven't been fucking with social media that much. I put up a lot of notices about what's playing at Smodcastle, but I don't read the comments anymore. This is the first time I've been reading fucking comments since uh, 
since I jumped yeah. on, but we have yeah. to kind of do that for this show. I, uh, I, I do not miss Twitter. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm about a hundred percent. I'm like 99% off Twitter. Um, I will look at it if somebody sends me a link to a thing to watch, or if I get some weird email about somebody sending me a DM, but otherwise don't need it. <clears throat> don't want it. Um, Melanie Dawn said you didn't read my super chat. It's I don't see it anywhere, Melanie Dawn. Um, like, I, I see one says thank you for your trauma is trauma video. I'm so happy you are have pushed through. I can totally relate to your story. Much love to you. Was that Melanie Dawn? That was Melanie Dawn. Why thank you, Melanie. That means the absolute world, man. I've met people in the real world who've given me props on on that video, which is very sweet. Uh, apparently, it, it hit a bunch of people in the right in the right place and that's what it was meant for when i was uh in sierra tucson uh in the mental health facility after about two weeks i was like jesus man like i'm learning i'm age 52 and i didn't know half of this shit i I didn't know any of this shit to be honest with you trauma to me was just like a ward in the hospital so i was like man like i'm lucky enough i got the kind of health care or let's be honest insurance didn't pay for it so i was able to pay for it myself but i got the kind of health care that like other people can't even afford or dream about getting and with that information i was like i'm not gonna sit on this information i want to disseminate it and stuff so i knew back then when i was in inside that i was going to shoot a video and and put it up and stuff for a bunch of people because i remember talking about my heart attack after the heart attack and for the next five years people were like my god you talked about your heart attack on colbert i was like he's not much older than me and i went in and fucking had my heart checked and I had like 90% occlusion. You saved my life. I was like, no, I'm pretty sure a doctor saved your life, but it just proves that a little information will go a long way. So I, right then and there, when I was inside, I was like, you know, I'm learning very useful shit. I can't wait to get out and share it with people. And uh, so far, so good. Uh, reaction's been very, very positive. Uh, I'm sure there have been people who are like, fuck you. Crazy boy, roll around in your fucking money and cry your crazy tears or whatever the fuck. But <laughs> uh, that hasn't reached my ears. So, although that one guy calling me irrelevant, <laughs> I just I have it in my head. I wish I could remember the name of the specific Bugs Bunny cartoon. <laughs> yeah, so he's like, <laughs> and then every now and again he just. <laughs> When I was in Sierra Tucson, I was literally always doing like, my name is Elmer J. Fudd, millionaire. I own a pension <laughs> and a yacht. <laughs> um, all right. What else can we do, man? Or are we getting out of here? Shouldn't we talk a little? Have you seen Guardians yet? I have not seen Guardians yet. I'm going Friday morning. I'm going to I'm gonna take my son who uh, who comes home from college tomorrow. How awesome is that? So I go and get him from college, and then we go Friday morning to go see Guardians. Um, I have no son, so I watched Guardians. <laughs> <laughs> no son. Uh, don't remind me I have no son. It's very traumatizing. No, I, <laughs> I absolutely never wanted a son. I was so happy when we were having a daughter and did have a daughter, uh, Harley, because I was like, what am I going to do with another fucking man in this world, man? Um, but having a having a daughter has been everything. Um, uh, she, I, I dig her so much. She just went to a premiere last night. Charlie day is that mm-hmm. from uh from it's sunny. he's friends with austin they were in that movie um austin zager harley's boyfriend who played blockchain coltrane mm-hmm. in uh clerks three charlie day is a movie i think it's called fool's paradise mm. um somebody in chat will tell me if i'm wrong anyway they had a premiere last night at the chinese right down the street 
And um, which McCall, uh, the kid, they, they sent me fucking pictures, man. My kid looked fucking dynamite, man. She was all <laughs> dressed up to the nine. So was Austin. But like, I thought the kid looked wonderful. Um, and I texted her. I was like, my God, fucking you, well, well done. Heavens. Um, <laughs> but that movie, um, I asked her, I was like, how was it? And um, and uh, Harley, of course, loved it. And she was like, Austin's so funny. Uh, but what else is she going to say, for heaven's sakes? Um, Head notes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> amazing. I was like, how was it? She's gone. I got some notes. Um, Scott K asked, coming in late, is Kev okay? He looks red. That's because I didn't put on any native fucking sunscreen, kids. If only I had heeded my own advice as I go hike Runyon and put on some native sunscreen, I wouldn't look so goddamn red. <laughs> native sunscreen. Go to nativedeo.com slash fat man. Make your order right now. Uh, John Elrod Rod and uh, John Elrod the second in chat mentioned that that Bugs Bunny short is Hair Devil. Hair Devil. Which one? Where he's like, yeah. That one. <laughs> uh, Jose interesting people. Jose Munster asked, would you write for, in super chat, not just chat, but super chat um, for $9.99? He said, would you write a new book about your experience? It will help so many people. Um, yes. It's funny you should mention that, Jose. Something I've been thinking about. I've been toying with the idea of writing another book. You know, years ago, I wrote Tough Shit, which is available from Penguin Random House, I guess, still. Um, and, and after the heart attack, I was like, I should write a book about the fucking heart attack. Um, but, you know, my brain, my heart broke five years ago. My brain broke fucking, you know, this year. Feel like maybe I should write a fucking book. And being that there's a writer's strike, that don't count, right? They can't stop me from writing a book, can they, Mark? No, I don't believe so. Yeah, I don't think the writing books is part of the WGA. Negative. So maybe I will. Maybe I'll use this time, the strike time, to put some thoughts together on becoming a, an old man and how things break every five years. My heart broke five years ago. My brain broke five years later. What will break next, kids? My dick? My asshole? Who knows? My if hands? I'll be writing so much? If it ain't broke, fix it by Kevin Smith. Oh my God, there's the title right there. I was going to go with Kevolution, but fucking that's way better. <laughs> um, uh, Bibley says, a journey on self-discovery sounds difficult to write. Yeah. 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 I don't know, I guess. I don't know. I mean, I, I hate to say this, but like, I, I love writing so much. Nothing's ever really difficult to write. Do you ever get writer's block, Mark? I get that asked that a lot. And I'm like, I don't get writer's block as much as I get writer's lays. Periodically, I would rather watch a thing than create a thing. But what happens is while I watch a thing, I get like jealous when I'm like, why are they writing a thing? And I'm not. I can do that. And then I go back to writing a thing. It it kind of prompts me to to actually go to work. You? Yeah. You know, I've, I've never gotten writer's block. And I think some of that is because the first half of my career was trying to break in, you know? And so the, the there was always energy behind that. And then once I did break in, it was, oh shit, now you have to pay rent. Like, you know, my joke was always, I don't have writer's block, I have bills. Which means, like, I have to write. Like, there's just no, there's no option to not write. Right. Um you know, and so I, I, I think that that I there are sol there are problems that need solving and stuff that I work on. It is never like I, I I've never sat down to write and never been able to do it. 
but it's always, huh, okay, well, that's going to be tricky, or I got to figure this out, or whatever. It'll solve itself. I'll take a shower. I'll go for a walk. I'll go for a drive. And while I'm doing it, while my brain is busy doing other shit, the problems get solved in the background. So I got like a program that's always running. But but I've never, I've never had what people characteristically call writer's block. Yeah, I, I don't get it either. I'm never like, what can I... I can't get through this. I mean, let's be honest. Most of the fucking shit I write is very uncomplicated anyway and stuff. It's not like I'm writing fucking Stranger Things or something like that. <laughs> I mean, you saw Yoga Hosers. I should have been writer's blocked for that movie. Instead, <laughs> <laughs> instead I had writer's diarrhea. No. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Just, no. <laughs> uh, Victor Lopez in Super Chat gave us 50 American dollars to oh, say. What does Victor want? Victor says, sober for one year now. During my time, got to meet you last year in St. Louis. The best sober experience I've had at Fan Expo St. Louis. My next trip will be to the stash in New Jersey for my two-year goal. Congratulations, Victor. Oh, my Lord. Thanks for everything you guys create. That means the world. If you're going to come to the stash, uh, make sure there's something cool happening at Smog Castle Cinemas, man, so you could do that as well. Double fist it, man. Go to the stash. Go to Smog Castle Cinemas. Just... Um, oh, we got a $20 one in here from Queen Cam. You mean Queen Cam for you, Mark? Go ahead. Hey, Mark, fellow chocolate geek. Uh, loved Splinter. So proud of you. Hey, Kevin, the trauma video was so brave and profound. So proud of you, too. Thank Happy you. you are loving you as much as we do. Will there be less fat man beyond? Um, I don't think so. Yeah, probably more fat man beyond, if anything. Yeah, I mean, we, had a, we really had an issue, though, lately, because we wanted to hit, you know, um, the fucking 400th show live. Yeah. So we kept putting it off. Any show we would have done would have been 400. But we found a way around that, kids. So you're watching show 399.1 right now. Yep. We got nine more of this. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but yeah, we were supposed to do one yesterday on the 9th. Um, but I, I had to cancel because I had a, had a death in the family um, that both required me to, to have to pull out of that, as well as the Northern Fan Con up in, uh, up in Prince George, which I, I always love attending. I always have the best time there. But this weekend was not to be. Um, and so we're trying to coordinate our schedule so that we will both be in L.A. at the same time. And it's not like a Friday night with a canteen. It's like, we have no time for you. We don't, we don't serve your kind here. What, yeah, droids. droids. Um, uh, Graham Bliley asked a pretty decent question. He goes, "Can you change the name of the show to something less self self deprecating and more accurate?" Glad man beyond maybe a few people talk about that. You know, part of my uh, self loathing uh, was you know fucking calling myself fat before somebody else did and whatnot. Hence, uh, fat man on Batman, which then became fat man beyond. Um. It's a it's a decent question. I, I don't, you know, we built a brand, and it feels like if we change the name of the show, would people know we were? I guess it really doesn't matter, does it? It doesn't matter. But I thought, you know, when we talked about the change from Fat Man on Batman to Fat Man Beyond, there was something I always liked about the Beyond. The idea is we've gone beyond family. That we've we're we're transitioning from one thing into something else. We're there it's always a journey. Life is a highway and we're gonna ride it all night long. All night long. Just like that Canadian guy said. Yeah. And also one of us is still fat. 
So I don't think we're not being uh, particularly true. Let me tell you, both of us are still fat. If I stand up, take my shirt off, you'll be like, oh, keep calling it Fat Man Beyond. I, I assure you. <laughs> Just because one loses weight don't mean that fucking excess skin goes away and shit like that. I was driving uh, into Manhattan last week. I went up into the city while I was back in Jersey uh, twice on Wednesday and Thursday. And as you take the Lincoln Tunnel in, there's this giant billboard that like have excess fat, you know, call this number for surgery and shit. And um, it's an image of somebody, but their head is cut off. But you could see like their their body. And so you could see like the excess skin, the flab, if you will. And when I was looking at the billboard, I was like, I totally could have posed for that. And if they gave me money, I'd put my fucking face on it, too. <laughs> like, I wouldn't hide that shit. I'd be like, hey, kids, it's me, Kev Smith, um, because I can't write for a living anymore. So I might as well make money that way. Be a, be a fucking before model. You know, or an after model, whatever the fuck, on a billboard for that sort of thing. Um, R Captain Robert April says that makes you flap man, not fat man. <laughs> well done, my friend. Well Raise done. the flaps. Hardcore cutesy, curtsy. Sorry, uh, says uh, thank you for, in super chat. Mm. For five American dollars says thank you for your inspiration. Saw you in San Francisco and offered to review your bathing suit area. Told you about a script you inspired. Working on it. I feel like a writer. Now's the time to write. Mm -hmm. yes. You know, whether you're a member of the WGA or not. I mean, are you allowed? Here's a question, Mark. Yeah. Uh, actually, this is a special edition version of Fat Man Beyond in which uh, we're talking mostly about the Writers Guild strike. And Mark, uh, if you're coming in late, Mark has been educating all of us on, on the strike. Um like you can't write for a studio right now, but can you write for yourself? At Absolutely. A hundred percent. Like if, if I wanted to write a pilot or a movie, which I am going to do, if this strike goes on for long enough, um, it still belongs to me. I haven't been engaged to do it by anybody. I haven't signed a contract. Nobody's offering me money. If I'm writing for myself, they can never stop you from writing for yourself. So you're not a scab if you, if you write a, a script that you haven't sold yet. Correct. Like, and the minute the strike is over, I can then take that script and try and sell it with no adverse effect by the guild. Nobody's going to look at you funny. Nobody's going to take anything away from you. And there's very little they can actually take away from you for scabbing other than, you know, moral high ground in your soul. Remember early in the show when I was telling kids, now's the time to go make a an independent movie and shit. And somebody mm -hmm. was like, are you fucking advocating uh, being a scab? Like, this falls under the same heading if you're not fucking selling it. You're yeah. not scabbing. Not scabbing. It's just for you. It's we for you. We be scabbing. Hey, uh. <laughs> um, somebody who was it? Oh, Waste Wasatron 2000 says maybe just change the Fat Man Beyond logo from a cape to Kev's gut flaps that you're both floating in. <laughs> like you're some human flying squirrel. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh my God, you're absolutely right. If I ever have to jump from a tall building, I'd just be like, da -na 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 -na. <laughs> I knew that shit would come in handy. You know what I did yesterday is um, I went and did uh, uh, Two Bears, One Pod, mm -hmm. uh, Bert Kreischer. Normally, he does it with Tom Segura. And I was on Tom Segura's uh, Your Mom's House podcast, which he normally does with Christina Pruszynski. But she wasn't there the day I did the show. And Tom wasn't there yesterday when I did a show with Bert. Um, and had such a fucking great time. I don't know when he puts it up and stuff, but my God, 
it was it was it was a good time. He's a legit funny guy, and he he's uh, one of those people that like when he talks about a movie, he never does the title. He <laughs> just, he describes it by what the movie's about, and he was just like, um, he goes, uh, Ben and Mac get wings, and I was like, Dogma, and he goes, Yeah, that movie. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know um, who I, I walked the picket line with the other day? Uh, Brett Goldstein. Are you fucking serious? Roy Kent was there. Roy Kent. He's Roy here, Kent. there, and every fucking Roy Kent. He's here. He's there. He's every fucking where, Roy Kent. I met him before he was Roy Kent. He did does a podcast, or did. I don't know if he does anymore. Uh, when I was over in the UK for Jane and Bob Reboot back in 2019, before the fucking world shut down, Um. I was on his podcast and I like, I remember loving that podcast because it was a cool concept. Films to be buried with. Yes. Films to be buried with. And he, um, and we had a good ass fucking time, man. But at that point he wasn't, there was no Ted Lasso. I don't think he'd even been on it. Like, I don't think they'd even shot it. And so then when I saw Ted Lasso, I was like, I fucking love that guy that plays Roy Kent. I think I was talking about it on this show. (laughs) And somebody was like, you met him. And I was like, no, I didn't. I'd remember that. And like, you were on his podcast and I was on his podcast. <laughs> did you get to talk to him? I did a little bit because um, I was walking with Yvette Nicole Brown, who's a friend. And she. The, oh, my God, kids, put on your hard hats because Mark Bernardin is dropping names left and right. raining names up in the <laughs> Um, But I was walking with her and she has been like the moderator of every Ted Lasso event in L.A. Like somehow she got in like deep with those guys. And so Yvette introduced me to Brett. And so we just walked through this. How do you know Yvette? It's like, oh, are, are you married? Uh, no, not married to Yvette. I'm not that lucky. Um, and then he like disappeared off because Sudeikis was also walking the line and Brennan Hunt, um, Coach Beard was walking. This was at Warner Brothers, I think, last week. Um, but it has been like, if, if you wanted to like celebrity site, like come walk in line. You don't have to be in a guild. You have to be in any guild to come and walk a picket line. They will gladly welcome the support. And like, what did I see today? I saw Larry Wilmore. I saw Paula Patton. Um, Leland Orser was out at Paramount today. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's been good. Scene. It's a real scene on those picket lines. You know, for the first couple of weeks, man, out come the shiny people to, to lend their support. Andy Samberg was walking the Paramount line today. Seth Myers, I saw, was walking uh, the picket lines in New York. Yeah, with Tina Fey. And I think um, Pete Davidson was delivering pizza to folk. Uh, pizza. When are we? Uh, me and my, I'm, I'm uh, headed back to see my mom uh, this week. Uh, on, on, I leave on Friday. But I, I come back to Los Angeles on, um, I think it's Wednesday or something. So are are we going to walk the picket line a week from tomorrow? Thursday? We absolutely can, you know, whenever you want. Like, I'm not, I'm not every day anymore just because it's, I'm old and it's a lot. Um, but I'm trying like Monday, Wednesday, Friday, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, whatever that's going to work out. So let me know whenever you want, man. We can, we can, we can be in town. We can be on this side of the hill. We can go up to Universal. We can go up to... Where, where do you want to pick it? Where do you, what, are, what are you looking for? Yeah, where can one pick it? Where should we pick it? Where have you picketed so far? I've been at Universal. I've been to CBS in the Valley, CBS Radford lot. Um, CBS Radford, that's where we shot Jane Silent Bob Strike Back. CBS Radford was cool. That's where they make a lot of sitcoms, right? Yeah, a lot of sitcoms. Some like one hour like network type of shows. Um, I did Warner Brothers and Disney, and then today was Paramount. And I haven't done... 
Netflix or Amazon or Sony or Fox yet on this side of the hill. You're going to hit them all, dude. I mean, I'm, it's it's the world tour at this point. Um, and especially when it gets too hot in the valleys, when I come down, it's like, hey, Fox, tell me what it's like over here. We're 20 right. degrees cooler. In the valley, kids, it gets very, very fucking hot. Frying pan of LA. It bakes like crazy, man. Uh, somebody who said this was cute. Uh, we were talking about Pete Davidson delivering pizza. John Elrod, too, said Pizza Davidson. Nice. Nice, nice, nice. Your little fucking dad joke right there. Um, George Dwight DeWitt asked, uh, Mark, is there a ton of paparazzi at the lines taking photos of all the people there would think they'd be looking for celebs helping out or walking? Um, there's not a ton of paparazzi, honestly. Um, there's a decent amount of news coverage. You know, there's a lot of like, I see AP photographers, I see like LA Times photographers and and that sort of thing. But I have yet to, to capture like, you know, the paparazzi is like, Jason, Jason, look over here, Jason, Jason. <laughs> Thank you, Jason. You know, I haven't seen that red carpety feel yet. Tom Smash super chatted us British money. I got pounds. Found it out, Tom. Uh, and he said, keep doing show, guys. Just want to say thank you. Oh, my God. You're more than welcome, Tom. Hmm. You didn't have to pay us $4 and 20 pounds or whatever, however you say that. <laughs> pounds, 20 quid. I don't know. Four pounds, 20. Four pounds, 20. Um, 20p. Nerdtropolis says, can we moderate your panel at the Dallas Fan Expo? I don't really have moderators. I generally kind of do that myself. I've never done a Fan Expo. I hear they're lovely. I've been to many. Me and Jay uh, did, I think, about 10 or 12 over the course of the last year. I think the Dallas one is one of our last, not ever, but for the fan expos. I think we were, we, we were contracted to do like 15 or something like that, but they're, they're lovely. Absolutely lovely. It's always great when you get to like fucking meet cats that are like, you know, Hey man, fucking all of your shit. Um, kids, we would love to do this all night long. Uh, but really, we just uh, gathered to kind of talk about the strike. We thank uh, the wonderful Mark Bernardin, who came up with the idea of let's educate people about this, this year's strike. And hopefully people walk away a little bit educated. Yeah, this this is the news this week. This is the news for the next couple of weeks. Um, so it felt it felt about right. It felt like this was a good time with a little bit of perspective, a little bit of distance, but it's an evolving situation. And so when when there's new shit to report, when there's a break in the ice and and feelings begin to thaw and people are back at the negotiating table, we'll come back and talk strike shit. But for now, this felt like a good idea. Um, tune in next time for episode four ninety nine point two, kids. <laughs> We'll do it maybe uh, early next week after Mark has seen Guardians. So we can yeah, we'll do a Guardians deep dive. Talk about it. And now that, you know, the strike's going on and we don't have to fucking write for people, perhaps the show will be a lot more consistent. <laughs> you know, and now we have some time. Maybe we'll get back into some uh, some commentary tracks. It's true, man. Maybe we do it live. I mean, we I could. guess we could technically do it live we, if we both played them at the same time. I mean, we could be in the same fucking place and do it, of course. But you could be where you are. I could be where I am. And we could just sync up and then fucking do it live. Yeah. Just tell everybody, just watch along. Now, generally, what I like to do before we do those Batman watch alongs is I watch it the night before and write down a bunch of things. Mm -hmm. I have shit ready to go. So we're never like, you know, in fucking silence. But would that be considered writing? 
Would that be would that be scab work right there? That's you need to look in your own soul for that. <laughs> My own scabby soul. Yeah. Uh, kids, if you enjoyed uh, Fat Man Beyond, if you have ever enjoyed Fat Man Beyond, you have uh, the guy over there to thank for it. Give it up for the great Mark Bernardin. Um, you also have uh, Will Wilkins to thank, Dilf Man. He makes sure that you we get to you. And don't forget, fucking Banff Man. Get your ass in here, Bampin. There he is. No, he's back. Banff Man's here, man. How's, the, how's shit at the bar? Real quick before we go. I know Mark's got to get out of here, but how was... Uh, <laughs> May the 4th at Scumming uh, The busiest day we've ever had, but also one of the smoothest we've ever had. Everybody was just firing on all cylinders. It was awesome. Opened at 10 a.m. Had a at 10 a.m. By about 4 o'clock in the afternoon, we had a two-hour line to get in until 12.30 at night. And at 10 a.m., were people drinking alcohol? They were. <laughs> They were Vegas hours. Wow. Um, well, I mean, celebrating Star Wars. What the fuck? Uh, it, so was it your biggest day ever at Scum and Villainy? It was. It was. It beat last year by about 15%. Wow. Um, Humongous in chat said no mohawk. What's happening? It is. Mohawk? It's just not spiked. It's just laying down. Just laying it's a lazy. Down. And that's what we're all, kids, we're all going to lay the fuck down. <laughs> it's been a busy week striking and doing Fat Man Beyond about the strike and stuff. Uh, come back next week, my friends, where we'll do uh, uh, Fat Man Beyond 499.2. We're just going to ring this out until we could do, I mean, 399. 399.2 until we can get together and do it live, which will probably be. I mean, what if it was next week when we walked the picket lines on Thursday? I don't know. If, I don't know if we can do Thursday at the. At oh, school. that's right. JC, can we? Bam, bam. What what nights are good for you for Fat Man? Monday, Tuesday, Sunday afternoon. Sunday, Mark. Sunday the twenty first. Is that what would it would be? Yeah. Are you around? I will be here. Yeah, because I do Hollywood Babylon. Kids, Hollywood Babylon at Flappers Comedy Club, May 20th, Saturday night. Get your tickets right now at csmod.com. Free ad right there. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I'll be in town for that. So the 21st, we could do an afternoon show at the Cantina if we want to all agree. Yeah. Sweet. That could be show 400. It could be. <laughs> We'll have That'll be, that's an easy hook to sell with, man. You know, it's like show 400. People aren't going to want to miss that. And also like the first live LA show in like a year. No kidding, man. Fuck. <laughs> Look for those tickets at csmod.com, kids. Yeah. Uh, there it is, everybody. Uh, for Fat Man Beyond, I'm Kevin Smith. And I'm Mark Bernardo. Tune in next time. It'll probably be early next week. Same. Fat time. Same. Uh-oh. Wait a second. Orbius just came in with 50 bucks with the super chat. Can't no. leave money on the table. What you want, Morbius? Mark's like, yes, we can. Mr. <laughs> Smith, I'm a 45-year-old man who weighs 390 pounds, and your recent video could have been made by me with a few details flipped around here and there. I want you to know that I am grateful for your candor and your example. Thank you. Uh, Orbius, Orobius, thank you for that, um, for heaven's sakes. That means the absolute world. 
Uh, if people are like, what is he talking about? Uh, trauma is trauma is the video right here on my channel, kids. Watch that. Mm -hmm. I'm crazy and I talk about it. Anyway, back to the fucking sign off. Next time, same bad time, same bad channel, smodcast.com or youtube.com slash Kevin Smith. Jeff's kiss, everybody. Mwah. Go strike. This has been a Smodco Internet production. Sip only at smodcast.com. <laughs>